Did you have, when you worked at Oberlin College, Jab, did you have a sleep spot? Dude. <laughs> <laughs> Schools of Honor podcast. I am Josh Volan. And I am Jeff Burns. And we are going to be bullshitting about the formative years of home computer gaming as we revisit the feelies that accompany it. And not again, this will be our first time because we are dipping our toes into uncharted waters for this podcast feed with what I have cleverly, by my own measure, deemed an edit config sysquest where we will be incrementally fiddling with an old school PC computer game start to finish with the assistance of vintage game literature. And that is so hard to say because I am so patterned with the, <laughs> with, yeah. with, with the other fucking thing. That was it's really been the difficult. same thing forever, yeah. Yeah, that was really fucking hard to say. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this inaugural quest of ours here will be a ride-along with Roger Wilco and Sierra Online's 1990 release of the VGA remaster of Space Quest One, intended for PC compatibles. The accompanying literatures, literatures of antiquity for us on this undertaking will be the 16-page pack-in instruction manual, the 43-page official Sierra Space Quest One VGA hint book, and a wee bit of the 276-page official guide to Roger Wilco Space Adventures. The link to a PDF of all three of those will be in the show notes for the duration of the quest. What rig did you first play this game on way back when, Jab? And then give us your emulation disclosure for the current one. What rig did I play it on? I uh, I don't. Was it was it mine or did you play it somewhere else? No, it had to be yours. And right, yeah, I would have guessed. Yeah, that's all I was gonna say is like yours because I don't know. <laughs> it was just you know, it was just a computer then. Word. Okay. Well, I'll, I think I'll you got that from specs. Ted. I did. I did get that from Ted. And I'll, yeah. yeah, I'll explain the specs to the best of my ability of that here momentarily. But I guess just tell us what you're what you're playing on now. Yeah, I'm playing on my uh, my previously mentioned uh, computer that I had that I've been fucking around with uh, since we've been doing this podcast, or, or for a long while since I've been. Why am I talking about this? Um, <laughs> I have a laptop that I'm playing it on, and that laptop it has a it's an Acer laptop. It has uh, an AMD Ryzen seven forty seven hundred U processor, uh, and that has a Radon graphics card in it, um, of an RX Vegas seven. GPU. Okay, the okay. computer itself has eight gigabytes of RAM. So it's actually not a bad computer. Gaming computer, no. Bad computer, also no. <laughs> that's a nice middle ground. Uh, I, lo- I love listening. I don't know. That's that's. I don't know. That's so funny to me. Uh, how people sound when they're talking about computer specs is such a funny thing to me, for some reason or another. Well, it's because I, it's such a weird thing. I don't. Like I'm kind of going to school for shit like this, and I don't know what it is. Yeah, it's yeah. I don't know. I I was so into it at one time, and it, you know, and now I've a I still have a vague under, it's still the same. Uh, it's still the same terminology, but the spectrum that the numbers fall into now, I have no grasp of what's common. So mm-hmm. to me, they're just wildly exorbitant numbers based on the formative numbering system that i learned that in learned this stuff in <laughs> you know like the processor speeds and the ram amounts are hysterical numbers compared to what i'm about to explain this pc that i first played there we both first played this game on which was uh well first of all the game was a big box copy 
that I picked up from Best Buy, I believe, a standalone uh, uh, version of this remaster, VGA remaster. And yes, the PC we played on it was a, was a hand-me-down computer from Uncle Ted, and I'm pretty sure it was either a 20 or a 30 megahertz processor. It could have been 20, man, which is really bad. Uh, oh, 30 is really bad, too, but uh, obviously... It's all relative. Uh, yeah, on that spectrum, that's a massive difference at the time. Uh, so yeah, w- somewhere there, somewhere around there, megahertz wise, and it was a 386SX was the processor, uh, which it was such a big thing too. The the 386, and then you had a 386DX, or actually no, I think maybe the DXs didn't happen until 486s, and this is all pre Pentium Intel. You know, it's, it, these are like most yeah, th- these are these are completely meaningless aspects now that are no longer even a factor in processor stuff. Like 386 versus 486 was a huge deal in, I don't know, 1992. <laughs> it was such a big thing. Well, that's, that's what's uh, so confusing about trying to keep this shit straight is because like, so my computer has eight gigabytes of RAM. A, a computer, you know, back in 1994, I guess probably could have had eight gigabytes of RAM, but these no, things are not it, it created could, equal. It could not have, no. <laughs> I mean, okay, well, well, fine. I mean, th- then you can say a computer made back in 2007 could have had eight gigabytes of RAM, but those gigabytes of RAM are not at all created equal. So, like, no, although yeah. the you know the numbers like the gigabytes and the and the megabytes and stuff, although those those metrics, you know, those descriptors, you know, are still in use. It's like there's a lot of other factors that go into the quality of these things. Sure, yeah, to some degree, that has, to my understanding, uh, leveled out. Like, RAM, for for instance, like, you might be able to do more than 32 gigabytes, but I think it's kind of like, it's useless. Like, there's no way to employ it in a beneficial way in the processes of the computer. Yeah, and it's something to do with the way that, like, bytes travel along... You know, yeah, like speed, as information. speed of light or something. <laughs> speed of light no, or something. I took the, it was in a class I took. It's like something to do with like you know the 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 binary way that it's the the information is sent along the through these transistors and whatnot. Like there there is an upper limit to this, and I think it's like thirty two or some shit like that okay. for peons like us. You know, like U.S. government supercomputers are well probably made by aliens. So right, <laughs> but yeah, it's different. Yeah, it's a completely different way. Uh, hopefully, we'll find more about that out soon. Or uh, find more out about that soon. Uh, yeah, so uh, anyways, back to the, the old school PC. So yeah, it was the 386SX IBM PS2. It had two megabytes of RAM. And yeah, I mean, back then, I remember it was a thought, because, you know, those motherboards had most of them maxed out at, I think, four slots. And that was the whole thing. The, the chips used to be, you know, and they, they were they were uh, in those units 2, 4, 8, 16, 32. Mm-hmm. And you could only, you, you had to pair, like you couldn't, like of the four slots, the sets of two had to be the same. You couldn't pair a two megabyte with a 16 megabyte chip it was like there was a whole bunch of dumbass limitations Mm -hmm. i remember on the way that you could even upgrade ram on those old motherboards and the computer we're talking about specifically was a locked motherboard it did not have i was unable in any way shape or form to upgrade the ram on it which was why i never got any more than two (laughs) the whole time i had it uh because i definitely would have either got Ted or my personally with some form or another selling weed or something <laughs> upgraded, upgraded the Ram on that uh, desktop. If I could have, 
if we don't mention it here, where would we ever mention it? What was that software that allegedly would like double your RAM? Oh, dude, there's a whole, there's an awesome YouTube I, documentary about I that. I know, and I want to watch it. It's, it's, it's on the uh, Soft RAM, I believe it was called. Soft RAM. Soft and yes, RAM. it was in F. I know it, we not, like, not, looked into this like as, as much as we could. It's oh yeah we we oh yeah we definitely tried to use that shit and yes if you watch this this there's probably a few of them but the one I watched it was amazing it it yeah, hindered software. it it like it 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 hindered the system it did not help at all and running the program of course consumed system consumes resources RAM, right right RAM and processor uh, bandwidth so yes yeah. it actually hurt the performance of your PC. <laughs> Uh, I just pulled up the wiki, and literally the first thing that my eye went to, for whatever reason, quote, the product was rated the third worst tech product of all time by PC (laughs) World in 2006. Yep. Yep. I think it's from that guy, the the, the person who, or the company slash person, it was like a guy with a very small company that developed a bunch of shit like that. And I'm pretty sure that's the dude that... It might even have been the guy that eventually did McAfee. I don't know. There's some sort of... Like a really prominent shitty software developer that is like just he's just got an incredible resume of shitty products yeah. in that era because there was just yeah there was no policing it was fucking complete wild west and getting shelf space in those you know big box office space or office max and fucking circuit city and best buy was yeah. so easy because those stores were huge new and they were just you know pcs were no one understood anything so yeah. they could just they would just fill shelves with bullshit there with no effort to <laughs> you know ensure that it had any stamp of quality or market literally quality zero effort right? yeah right which is also how uh, a lot of shitty games like this were, <laughs> were yeah. available to us, and you could just stumble up upon them and find them like I did uh, this very one. So that was the PC that we played on. My current situation, I'm using DOSBox as the emulator on my PC, keyboard and mouse controls like the OG computing gods intended it, and the rig specs themselves are godlike. It can do literally anything. It is an Intel i7 2.6 gigahertz processor with 16 gigabytes of RAM. I guess I could upgrade to 32, but I don't really find it to be an issue you know, with video editing or gaming, particularly considering I'm playing uh, Space Quest 1, so it's not yeah. really a big suck on system resources. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, like, like I told you before we started this, you could, people can probably run this on their toilets. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's uh, not a cumbersome program. The graphics situation specifically is an NVIDIA GeForce RTX 2060, which I believe came flush with 6 gigabytes of its own dedicated uh, RAM. As far as where we got on this game in our uh, original playthroughs, do you have any recall at all of how far you might have gotten trying to play it either to... I mean, did we play this together? See, that's the thing. I, I started playing this, and, like, there's a couple of things going on here. Hey, bud, I know. There's a couple of things going on. I don't know that we played Space Quest 1. We might, we could have played... There's, like, seven of them, right? Uh, Yeah, there's a number for sure. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, we definitely played this one. This is the one I... Yeah. It might have been the only Space Quest I had, actually. No, check that. I eventually got four. Four sounds familiar. The remaster of four, which had a blue, like, a, a, a turquoise hey, box color to it. Yeah, so I don't. Here's the thing: I don't remember either of them, and I'm assuming that if we, this should go well. I don't think it'll take long because I don't think these games are terribly long. No, um, no they are not. <laughs> we should get to maybe all of. I would. Uh, the spoiler alert: uh, we should get to all of Space Quest, King's Quest, and maybe even Police Quest. 
I, I love I love the aspiration there. I would love to. <laughs> yeah, I would love to play Police Quest in the uh, in in this modern world and just see, yes, no, just like pick so that good. apart. That's going to be yeah. fun. And that that was three that I had of the. We've talked about that on the pod before with the on the side quest. But yeah, I had three, and yes, those games are insane. Yeah, they're going to be the early ones too. I you know. Three was late. That was probably like mid nineties. Like those first ones, Police Quest One and Police Quest Two are probably unbelievably yeah. weird. <laughs> like, I, like, don't take this the wrong way. I'm sure there's a mission in there where you beat a black guy to death. For sure. Like, yeah, there's it's, gonna, it's, be it's gonna be all com- sorts of terrible. It's gonna shit. be yeah. completely yeah. shameless because of the aforementioned. Like, yeah. we're not controlling for the quality of these products. Like the the material. Like it's again, it's the wild west, and it's like you want to know what it's like to be a police officer. Here it is. And Sierra too. The way they did that. I mean, you know, the, the, one of the one of the really interesting things about Sierra is it was such. It was just Ken and Roberta. They had a bunch of. They had staff, but as far as the game designs, they didn't have to answer to anyone. There was no corporate overseer, and they could do whatever the fuck they wanted, basically. Yeah. Uh, they were gods in this realm, and in addition to not having to answer to anyone, that godlike status, I'm sure, empowered them with the belief that they could do anything they wanted and didn't yeah. have to really think much about it. In fact, I even kind of see that... I could go off on a real tangent about a VR reiteration, re, uh, reiteration they just did of Col- uh, Colossal Cave or whatever the hell it's called. One of their really early uh, proto precursors to to King's Quest, mm. and it it I mean, they they charged forty dollars for it, which is insanely expensive for uh, what they were offering in the VR space. That's about as expensive as any VR game is costing on the Quest, and they did a terrible job with it. And it was really the criticisms of it. A lot of it was like that they didn't embrace the technology. They tried to retain this retro, difficult, mm-hmm. clunky feel to it and thinking that that was like a creative choice. And really all it did is just completely wall off uh, your ability to enjoy it because of all the expectations of VR quality of life things, you know. And they yeah. just ignored all that because this is how we do it. We want it to be this way. We're Ken and Roberta, <laughs> you know what that's, I mean. That's and, crazy and, because I yeah. like that that the clunkiness is like easily the biggest drawback issue with these kinds of games. Easily. Oh, for sure, for I mean, sure, like, for without sure. a and, doubt know, at all. I'm actually kind of like we'll get into it when we start talking about the game, but like I was kind of surprised at its um, intuition is the wrong word, Jeff. Uh, responsiveness as far as like the text commands go, like it's it's it wasn't quite as bad as I thought it might have been. So, like, there's a story in here, and I got things to say about the story, too, as so far as we've made it. And uh, just, like, navigating the game world, you know, even, like, with the having to, like, interact with the world wasn't quite as bad as I thought. But, like, if you can improve it, then, yeah, why wouldn't you? Right, right, right. And, and you know, in VR, too, there's, like, simple things. Even, like, UI things, not even necessarily interacting with the world, but interacting with the world, too. Yeah, there's a bunch of problems. With it. I just, so I was literally... Just, I mean, less than a week ago, probably inspired by this, reading a bunch of reviews of the game. And yeah, it was, it, they just got roasted. Fucking mm-hmm. VR Upload, which is probably the most prominent VR review site. The guy just, oh my God, he roasted it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, so yeah, I mean, I also am semi unclear on, I certainly know I played it, I owned it. There's much that I remember, particularly in this opening part or opening uh, sequence of the game that we're going to talk about for this episode. But even in there, there are things that were semi-unfamiliar to me. Mm -hmm. And I certainly don't remember the way the whole narrative plays out. And I know, like, 
you know, there was no internet back then, and these games were opaque as fuck. So the I think the odds that I beat it, especially considering I don't remember that, and like that's the kind of thing. Like, yes, you might remember or not remember some of the bullshit uh, in the middle of the game, but if you beat a game, there should be some residual something there. Yeah, it should uh, stick a little bit. You'd think, anyways. I mean, you know, not necessarily when I'm old now, and it's a long time ago, but. I don't recall anything about latter stages of the game, and that has me leaning towards the idea that I got stuck somewhere as Sierra intended it, and just never was able to get past that. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't, I didn't remember any of this actually, so yeah. I don't know if I played. Maybe I played four, or maybe I played this one, but I was like six. Yeah, my friends have kids right. now that are six. I'm like, you're not gonna remember any of this shit. <laughs> right, right, right. So. Oh, okay, so that's that's what we got uh, previously. Please rate and review the pod wherever you listen. If you enjoy our shit, it really helps. First up for Literature of Antiquity Review is the instruction manual, and it's a lean 16 pages with covers, which honestly really surprised me. Me too. I was expe- yeah, I was expecting far more pack and direction than that on a 1990 big box adventure game. Yeah, that was pretty lean. The cover is a monochrome blue and white, Space Quest 1 real big and reverse Star Wars perspective font, and a Roger Wilco and the Syrian Encounter in white below. Some stock photo deep space stars and galaxy photography is the backdrop. And the first page is a masthead listing off the eight key creative figureheads involved with creating the game. The two of which I think are most, uh, are probably most notable are the designers. Actually, that's something, yeah, I said Ken and Roberta. In this case, they actually, this is a different team. Uh, but their names are Scott Murphy and Mark Crow. And yes, these are the two dudes that would shepherd this entire series. They would uh, coin themselves as the two guys from Andromedia and burrow those characters into the game lore itself, which is a pretty fun choice, I think. Creative choice. Uh, I'll drop their story from the Space Quest Omnipedia into the show notes if you want the full deal. But in line with the tone of these games, they are very self-deprecating and cynical in their portrayal of themselves, and it's fun. After a title page that's a redundant relic of traditional book formatting, they start us off with a four-page story setup, and it's well-written and a very business tone with backhanded jokes peppered into it, and probably my favorite chuckle from it would be the Xenon scientists predict that only certain insect species and most lawyers will survive Uh the resulting Ice Age, (laughs) and... Uh, yeah, that is very much in line with, with uh, how all of this tonality goes. There are a lot of criticisms of government incompetency and such that prove, given this is from 30 years ago, 30 plus years ago, that public consensus is never happy with the job government is doing and democracy doesn't actually work. <laughs> you won't like the other options. Um, I noticed a um, there's also a, um, a Brave New World reference in there, too. Is there? Uh, what exactly? I don't know what that is exactly. Uh, Brave New World, the book, Aldous Huxley, the actual better of the dystopian books between that and 1984. Um, Brave New World is very good. I've read 1984. I don't think I've read Brave New World. 1984 is very good, too. Um, Brave New World, I think it's better because it's it's a more plausible 
uh, outcome of dystopia happening. Brave New World's very, like, boot-on-your-face uh, dystopia. Brave New World's just like, uh, do drugs and have sex and don't worry about what's going on behind the scenes. And that sounds appealing. Um, but they, yeah. the, the sentences, lunatics and sub-delta morons have taken control of the TV networks. Actually, this happened centuries ago, but nobody <laughs> noticed until recently. Yeah, 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 yeah that's good. Uh, yeah, there's, like, there's uh, genetic designators in um, Brave New World, uh, Alpha, Beta, Gamma, Delta, Epsilon, uh, Alpha's being the top and Epsilon's being the lower. And you can be like positive or sub each of those designations. Blah, blah, blah. Okay. Sub Delta Moron would be a very stupid person in the brave, in a brave <laughs> new world. Okay, okay. Uh, yeah, the, the, so the, the, the plebes basically uh, is how they would equate to 1984, um, if I recall correctly. Um, yeah, that's uh, I need a new book, anyways. Maybe I'll drop that into the Goodreads quay. So yeah, that little jolly is referencing uh, the dire situation facing the inhabitants of planet Xenon in the Ernon galaxy the story takes place in. Their sun is dying, and most everything on it is facing the possibility of extinction. And their solution for this little kerfuffle was the invention of a gadget called the Star Generator that was prescribed as being capable of turning a lifeless planet into a raging ball of fire. And the space lab where the development team was stationed, the Arcaia... Ar- Arcada, I kept thinking it was the Arcadia, but uh, uh, actually looking at the word instead of just guessing what it is in my, from my memory is the Arcada. Is, and that is where the protagonist of the story, Roger Wilco, calls his place of employment. He is the janitor there. And you're not really part of it, but as the story starts, the development team has what they believe to be a fully operational device and is headed home to Xenon. Roger is sleeping in his janitorial closet, a professional activity we are told is one of the few aspects of the job he excels at, when a race of space hooligans called the Sarians, who see the device's potential for turning a life-filled planet into a raging ball of fire, as uh, <laughs> and that has motivation for doing just that to planet Xeon, Xenon, rather, and they choose to attack and commandeer the Arcada as a method of obtaining it. Uh, eventually, after the laser fire and cries for mercy from the crewmates subside, Roger gathers up, gathers up the stones to emerge from the closet, and we assume control of him. Did you have, when you worked at Oberlin College, Jab, did you have a sleep spot? Dude. <laughs> <laughs> so, so many, uh, like so much of this story, I'm reading through. when I was reading through it, I was like, this is hitting way too close to home. <laughs> um, and as to the question, did I have a sleep spot? So... Um, yes, A, I did, but it's better than that. When I finally became a custodian at Oberlin College and got out of the kitchens, I eventually got a custodial gig that was second shift, and it was a floater position. So, like, if somebody called off, like, I went and took care of their area. But I didn't take care of it to the, like, the degree that they did. I took the trash out, I wiped the toilets down, I refilled the soap and paper towels, and I got the hell out of there. Um, but my main base of operation that was respon- that I was responsible for, Bosworth Hall... Uh, there was a uh, custodial closet in the basement, and oh man, did I kick it down there! <laughs> I came. In, I remember I came in and visited you one time. Yeah, and we went in those tunnels. On that was Bosworth. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 But I didn't regularly get into those tunnels, but I mean, I had again when you were like, "Did you have a uh, a sleep spot?" Like, I had floater keys. I had keys to every door on campus. I could sleep. I could sleep in the president's office if I wanted. to. <laughs> So, I mean, we got into those tunnels underneath the, the thing. Like, nobody goes into those. Maintenance doesn't even go. Like, there's no reason for anybody. We were probably the last people in there. <laughs> right, right, right. As, and, and, I mean, what was the uh, fucking, like, 
security pictures down there. surveillance situation there. Like, like how much could you get away with without someone fucking talking shit to you like about why were you there? What were you doing kind of thing? Uh, I don't... You'd have to really... I almost went on the... So, like, I, I mean, to answer your question briefly, not much. Like, they had cameras outside of doors... But, like, that's just a camera outside a door. Like, there's not cameras inside the buildings. Uh, if there are, they're not really, like, monitoring, like, general hallways and shit. Like, if it's monitoring, like, a a science lab or, you know, I bet the uh, conservatory has, like, a lot of expensive music equipment. You know, they're probably right. keeping an eye on those to a degree. But, like, general shit that I was doing? Like, absolutely not. One time I almost went onto the observatory deck at, at the, at, well, at the observatory there in town. And, uh... I like I, I wasn't sure if I would because that's like out on like a roof like outside and I like I checked and there was this like little there's this like little gadget at the top of the door I like opened the door and I was about to push it I turned the thing and I was about to push it open I saw that gadget and I was like ah, I'm not gonna do it because that might have set an alarm off but generally right, so yeah that's definitely nothing. what that was for sure yeah it was a, it was a electronic catch yeah yeah so I passed the perception check there but pretty much nothing um <laughs> that, that I'm aware of especially like us down in those tunnels like pff, dude <laughs> they don't even know that place exists I'm sure <laughs> like we came out the we came out the other side in a different building and like that again that door not opened in a million years I'm sure all right I don't remember the tunnels actually that's really? Funny. They were yeah. oh, God, I got to get in there again somehow. I remember I remember going in the door. You were taking the trash out. We went in. I remember going through a couple hallways. I remember going into like a stairwell or something to go down, but yeah, I don't remember anything. Yeah, so we would have walked in like essentially the it was in between the first floor and the second floor and then we walked further down. Now we're in the basement floor. That's where my closet was. And then <laughs> we walked past that uh which would be west and then you go like through this we remember we went through that like little cage. Kind of maybe rings a bell. And then we opened a door, and then you're down in like a tunnel with like a bunch of generators, and it was like really hot. Yeah, it looked like some fallout sense. shit, honestly. <laughs> that's yeah, that's what I, that's 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 the yeah, I, I I can picture the environment, I just can't recall it. We got to figure out when that was because I got to dig the phone out and see if I took some pictures around then. Oh Jesus Christ, dude! That, I mean, that would have been. I mean, you it was right. It'd have been like 2000. Uh, I'll tell you when it was. It was like 2000. Oh fuck! I can't tell. Well, you yeah, it's definitely in the two thousands, Jeb. That's super well, yeah, cool. yeah. <laughs> I was gonna say seventeen, but my mom was dead then, and it definitely wasn't then. It was before that, so it'd been like fourteen, fifteen. Yeah, I don't remember. Well, it, it was. Yeah, I don't know. I was, I was gonna try to put a, but the, the whole yeah, I have no idea. Yeah, so we'll figure it out. No point in even guessing. Yeah. In any event, the next two pages are piracy prevention measures by Sierra, but at least they took the time to build these into the narrative in a way that goes beyond the message popping up that reads something like, turn to page 27 of the manual and find some shit to type in here. <laughs> like Master of Orion, for example, is a good is a great example of this, where they right. just put the ships in the corners by the page numbers, or the ship names, I should say, with a picture of them. And the first of these two pages, these piracy pages, is titled Arcata Planetary Reference... Arcata. How do you say that? Arcata. Arcata? Arcata. Arcata. So the, 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 the pronunciation is actually A-R-K-A-W-D-A. So I think they want you to say Arcata. Arcata. No shit. Arcata. Yeah, Let's see if I can remember that. I'm trying to con- uh, I'm trying to keep myself in character here. <laughs> Arcata. So anyway, the, the Arcata Planetary Reference Library Catalog is the title up top. 
And the blurb here reads, Please note, data carts are filed and retrieved automatically by code sequence, not by alpha order. To request a data cart, please enter the code sequence corresponding to the topic of your choice. There is a one buckazoid per day charge of overdue data carts. And then there is a list of various astral phenomena, asteroids, gravity, moons, quasars, etc. And a corresponding series of symbols that are probably best described as hieroglyphic-esque, maybe I would say. There's a better word for it, but yeah. Okay. Well, I'd listen to what it is, Jeff. By all means, enlighten me. I don't. I don't know what it is actually. Oh, <laughs> okay. I wish I did. Uh, uh, yeah. So, so the Buckazoid too. Uh, if you've never played this game, Buckazoids are the form of currency in this uh, universe. Um, so yes, they're making a late videotape joke there, which is pretty good and timely. Uh, or of the time, I should say. The second of these pages is a list titled Navigational Grid Codes, and the blurb for this reads, Per the recent contract provision enacted by the United Federation of Jargon Writers, the following code system is now mandatory in order to facilitate droid-assist navigational system standardization. In other words, please use the following obscure codes when telling your droid where to steer your ship. And the list here is a bunch of two-letter codes, two-letter... Yeah, two-letter codes. (laughs) (laughs) It doesn't need further adjectives. Paired with the same kind of hieroglyphics. So yeah, so these are basically just ways to, um, I guess if you're too lazy to also photocopy the manual when passing out pirated versions of these on discs or taking one from a buddy or making one from a buddy, however it might be, then you would have to call them and bug them on the phone whenever you needed these codes. <laughs> and then how would they describe those, as we say, hieroglyphics to you? Like Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. They'd like have to pull F- the F- game up. Like... You'd, ha- you'd have to make them pull the game up and like literally point to places on the screen, the number pad on the screen, like yeah. second from the left. <laughs> oh, God. Which, you know, I, I picture that's that definitely happened at some point. Some kid was bugging some kid uh, that he pirated the game from at some point or another with that very reason. Um, and, and I love that thought. Yes. Like all laws and rules, these didn't actually stop criminal activity. They just made the lives harder of people too poor to have easy access to photocoppers is really what that amounts to. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. There are then two pages of walkthrough text to give you the slightest bit of traction in the game if you're a total adventure game neophyte, but fuck that shit, I am not. A couple pages of selling shit, Space Quest 2, 3, and 4, which were already out at the time of this VGA re-release, and that official guide to Roger Wilco's Space Adventures book I mentioned we'll dip into a little bit on this quest. And you get a copy of that book free if you buy one of the games from them direct, and the price tags on these are $49.95 for Space Quest 2, and then $59. 95 for Space Quest 3 and 4. Holy and 60, fuck. You're right, yeah. 60 bucks in 1990 is 140 in 2023 money. Woo. Eek. Yeah. I, you know, uh, yes, that's a lot of money. But that makes like, and they, we, you know, we do this all the time, these math conversions to modern day dollars and stuff. And a lot of times they feel abstract to me and I can't, uh, I don't know. I can't. It doesn't mean enough to me to matter that much. Mm-hmm. But that convert because like sixty bucks for like that's about what the game. You know, I mean, even Nintendo games. Like I've speculated, there were sixty bucks in my memory too uh, for those. But even if you say you know the MSRPs on most of these and those mags we're going through now are forty three ninety five, forty four ninety five. The fucking Genesis games are more like fifty to sixty. Mm-hmm. So like. That's what games cost then. 
And seeing it convert to 140 in this specific context to me and, and with inflation makes me completely disbelieve the theory of inflation. <laughs> Yeah, well, money is like, not real. Money is right, exactly. Made. It's I, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, yeah, this, it's I, completely fake. I agree with that as well. But yeah, that isn't that. It's that. It's not. No, like I just no. <laughs> yeah. So no, no. Yeah, it's. No. I agree. It's not the thing about like comparing these things. It's just like an interesting. It's as close of a comparison as a mathematical comparison as we can get. But it's not really a one to one thing. Right. And also, it's like very. It's very relative to other things. Like, yeah, it, it's not a one-to-one. It, it doesn't work quite that way. It's just like the closest approximation that we can get. Right. Yeah. I, I yeah. Like the analogy I'm thinking in my head is is those when they're when they're showing like voting shit. Uh, I don't even do they even show that on TV anymore. I'm sure that's you have to use show. a more descriptive word than shit. Uh, the the percentages that like as as voting is going down on the day on the on voting day mm-hmm. they will show those percentages and they always mention there's like a degree of of uh, what's the terminology they use like um, a, a variance um, to some degree no goddamn margin, margin of error margin of error that's the one yeah right which so, is a you statistical know. term it's a mathematical concept so it it is a very real thing for sure for sure and you know that's how I think of what that is but even even if you factor some sort of at least reasonable margin of error, and that is a massive, massive difference, you know? Like, mm-hmm. 140, like, think about it, like, okay, even if you, like, because the thing is, you have to think about it in a less scarce form. You can't just do, and this is a perfect example of what you just described, you can't just say, oh, video games don't cost $140 in 2023. Of course they don't. It's a more uh, developed and streamlined industry. Things mm-hmm. don't cost as much. The R&D doesn't cost as much. Yep. The materials don't cost as much. The training the, of the workers to create them doesn't cost as much. The fucking available, the, 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 the general scarcity of the product in general is not the same. There's a million economic factors. Also, that- but here, I'll, I'll counterpoint that. So, like, yeah, the Space Quest right now, today dollars cost 140 and uh, whatever game we just bought costs 50 right? But here's the thing. We sent more people to school on federal grants and loans to do that shit. You yep. subsidize all that with your tax dollars. So like you're paying for video games right there. You can add on one penny to the cost. <laughs> right, yeah. You know, right but, there. And then there's a million other things that you do, right. like, you know, externalities from pollution, from creating semiconductor devices to create computers in the first place. It's an incredibly, like, incredibly dirty process. (laughs) Not only is it convoluted, but it's an incredibly dirty process and like the environment will have to be cleaned up one day and like you can add that on. So now you've added another penny to your game cost and you're going to do that until, guess what? You probably arrive at somewhere around $140. (laughs) (laughs) Perhaps, perhaps. We'll Uh, never know. $140 fake dollars. Yeah, we'll never know. We'll just have to keep playing these old games on emulators and not think about it uh, until we die. A page of anti-piracy and legalese bullshit at the very end, then the full credit list of people who worked on the game and that is all she wrote now 
into the hint book, and the cover is a one-to-one facsimile of the game box art, an illustration of spacesuit adorned Roger with a drink in his hand, surrounded by a few aliens at a bar, probably anyways, and one of his right, or the one to his right, looks to be a pretty thirsty female. I would summate the two to his left to be a couple of wasted bros feeling very, I love you, man. (laughs) Definitely. Definitely. Yeah, that's the vibe there. Moving inside, they start with a disclaimer page explaining that this hint book is written for the point-and-click VGA version specifically. And if you're playing the parser-driven version, you will, in quotations here, have to type your answers to execute all the actions described in this book. And Jeb, you made a fucking remark in the opening segment. Did you play the parser one, or did you play the fucking point-and-click one? No, I had to play the parser uh, for this one because I couldn't get that file that you sent me to install. It just As soon as I click the installer, it just hates me and refuses to do it. The installer of what? Yeah, I'll pull, I'll pull the download thing up. So, Space Quest 1, the Sarian Encounter, VGA 1991 zip. That's what I downloaded from you. I open up that first file. And then, basically, I have the install application that one would click, yeah? No, you don't have to install it. You, I told you you have to run just that SIDHUB pro, uh, EXE. SIDHUB EXE. That's in here? I mean, you have to do it in, within DOSBox. You have to read the instructions. SIDHUB, I see. You have to do all this through DOSBox. Through DOSBox. Yeah, okay. See, I never got around to that. I will. I mean, it can't possibly be that complicated. I have DOSBox on this, so. Yeah, you have to you have to mount the fold you have to mount the folder as a drive in DOSBox, and just this SIDHUV or the folder that you have all those files in. Basically. Okay, so you the entire thing. As, yeah, you mount it as a drive, and then you run SIDHUV. SIDHUV okay. Yeah. Exe. Yeah, I'll just do so. That then, how did you fucking play? I just typed a lot. <laughs> no, but <laughs> yes, obviously. Oh, I went to uh, I went to uh, DOSBox Play Classic Games. The what the website you mean? Yep. But, well, How does sorry. That s- yes, playclassicgamesessentially.com. And then. How does the saving work? Uh, it, just, it has a little like a uh, little save system within it. Like, I just hit escape and then. I mean, I, here, I'll And you I'll do can it right come now. back to it? Yeah, save. I mean, I'm not going to. I didn't close this, this uh, window, but maybe. Yeah. I've, yeah, you I've, just F5 save and you can save like seven or eight, eight states, it looks like. So, yeah. And then come back to a later time. I'd be scared whether that would. Oh worked. yeah, I mean, well, it doesn't. I mean, it took me like a couple seconds. To, I like restarted a couple times. We'll talk about that, but um, yeah, actually, I'll close it right now and then I'll try it again. Okay. I, I don't think it's gonna work, but it doesn't matter. It take me two seconds to get back. Um, yeah, we definitely didn't get far in the gameplay. Okay, well, after the table of contents and the first of a great deal of awesome pencil art, I'd have to assume is pulled from the concept stage of the game design, we get a couple of pages of setup for both the game on your PC monitor and this book in your hands. And first of this is an abridged version of the game story setup, then a short blurb titled About This Hint Book. And Jab, could you please read that? Oh, I got this goddamn music going in my head. Okay, I'll try that later. Think of this book as your complete guide to Space Quest One: Roger Wilco and the Saurian Encounter. It is designed to help you out of tough spots and lead you into game areas you might not have explored thoroughly. And that's, I think it's important to note that explaining how a hint book works <laughs> made sense then, because no one knew how to do anything video gamey. But it might be just as important now because of the format of gameplay help 
has long died. Like it, it didn't make sense to people then, and I don't think it makes sense to people now. <laughs> there was definitely <laughs> you know, like, like a sweet spot. Right, precisely, precisely. And it might have been like the Final Fantasy one style like uh guidebook. The so what do you mean say again? Like there was a sweet spot of like game help from books. Is this making sense? Uh, yeah, to some degree. Okay, I mean, I see what you mean. So you're just saying Final Fantasy is a, is a similar concept. See, I think, well, to some degree, yes. You're saying people didn't know how this worked at this right. point. And I'm agreeing. Right, right for I'm sure. by the time Final Fantasy book came around, like, people kind of understood how these things operated. Oh, by the time. Sorry, I didn't catch yeah, that. Yeah, by the no. time. Excuse me. I, I may not even have said it. And no. then, um, yeah, anymore now, it's actually like, I don't know. Getting help on video games is actually kind of tricky now. <laughs> well, it's it's. I think it's it's. it's I know what saturation is the problem. I know what you're saying that there's just so much to choose from, right? Yeah, but yeah. The, it is more straight. It's it's a more of a straightforward beat by beat walkthrough mm-hmm. and actual play videos and shit showing you mm-hmm. exactly what to do. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yes. And that is not at all how this book is structured or meant right. to be consumed or you whatever however you want to term it. Yeah, it is very much. Uh, well, the next section is actually going to tell us exactly how the fuck they intended <laughs> to be used. So I'll just read that. Uh, this book contains every answer to every puzzle in Space Quest 1. How you go about using it can be very important to the quality of your gaming experience. The answers to the hint questions are arranged to reveal a little bit of each puzzle solution each time you uncover one. The starred answer is a sequence of steps to accomplishing the needed task and should only be read if you were if you do not understand how to go about solving the puzzle after reading all the other answers. And they provide an example here. The example opener is, I'm in the kitchen, and I need to make a bologna sandwich. What should I do now? And then they have, what is it, five bullet points here in a row in, in, a, in an order of kind of reveal, in a, in a slow reveal of what exactly you need to do, you need to do rather, in hopes that these little clues will inspire you to make the mental leap to the fifth one without having to read it, basically. Mm-hmm. And they they start with you'll need bread, you'll need <laughs> you'll need bread, bologna, cheese, mayonnaise, and a knife. Okay, so that's what I need. The next one is most of the stuff can be found in the cupboard. Okay, so maybe I would have to check the cupboard or whatever, some, check some other things. Most of the rest is in the refrigerator. Is the third clue? Like oh, the it would fourth, be, of course. Right. The fourth one is a very specific. The knife is in the drawer. Maybe you didn't think to check the drawer. Okay, I still can't do it. Okay, finally, what the fuck is the actual? What do we do here? And they and they very bluntly go through the whole deal in the fifth bullet point with take out two slices of bread and spread them with condiments. Place the meat and cheese on one piece and cover with the second piece, being sure to face the mayonnaise side down, which is you know highly specific, right? Uh, it would be helpful to have a plate and napkin handy, too. And they summate this with, you get the idea, right? And I think we hopefully do. Yes. And the next section is the right way versus the wrong way to use this book. Jab, go ahead and handle that. It is possible to read all the answers to a hint question at the same time. This will give you the solution to the puzzle without any need on your part to figure anything out. Easy, but ultimately unsatisfying. We do not recommend this method. The other way of using a hint book is to reveal only one answer at a time and to try to figure out the solution on your own, only looking at the next answer down when you are genuinely stuck. This method is a bit more challenging, but will increase your enjoyment of the game. Yep, uh, I think that's beautiful. But ultimately unsatisfying, that terminology specifically, it brings a little tear to my eye. that they're, just, yeah. they're They're pushing you to work for it, you know, and that's beautiful. Yeah, that's, it's that's just a great example of a game that both you and I have fawned over, like, I didn't really get stuck in Subnautica because I just kind of like, I don't know, 
Like I used the internet a couple times to get through it, but like whatever, blah, blah, blah. But the point is like trying to get like a specific answer when you're stuck in Subnautica is like, it's unbelievable. Like it, it's just not, it, it's not an easy process to, to, to get the answer that you need without like, I guess at this point, as this ruining book says, rest, yeah, yeah, ruining it, like ultimately unsatisfying. Yeah, no, I, I remember, t- I'm sure we talked about it uh, at some point or another, or if, I don't know if I, when I was playing that, if, might have been after you jumped off and and Jay jumped on, but either way, I certainly talked about it. Where yeah, like you know, going through those walkthroughs with this mentality—that's a super interesting point, actually. Like the way these are set up, they enable you to yes, piecemeal specific information to yourself to just nudge you along. The real problem with those walkthroughs and the videos, of course, too. Same thing is that you. It's not that that they're more straightforward like that. It's that there's even with the you know even if they chapter the videos, it doesn't. You still can learn something you don't want to learn, or find read something you don't want to read, or see something you don't want to see mm. that will ruin something else. And yes, there was something or other that I was looking for at some point in my play of Subnautica that I don't even think it was a part of the narrative or like what to do it was like a functional problem that i didn't understand okay. and uh yeah that, that's tra- actually what this is the point i was trying to make thank you for reading my mind okay yeah so just finding that and like yes the fear with which that i was looking through those fu- that documentation trying to find that answer and like I don't even I, I'm not even sure the terminology to use like this like skimming technique of like only letting myself see a word or two and not even consecutively in a sentence, just like trying to find a word that rang true for the area that I was trying to find this answer for to get me to a place where I felt a little more comfortable reading full sentences. So I didn't ruin something in a game like that where yes, the whole um, foundation for enjoying it is the discovery process, you know, Mm -hmm. which is very much how these games are structured <laughs> these adventure yeah. games, you know, space quests and shit. So yeah, yeah, for sure. I that it's it's that's the real shit of it. I think less so than even maybe the in, the intent or mentality of the creator of the walkthrough or whatever. Um, yeah, yeah, it's it's tricky to do, and it seems like this this book is trying to avoid that, which is cool. Yep, and I and even like just the and we'll talk about that too when we get there. With just the different, they had tried they they tried different ways of doing that so maybe that just speaks to the experimental stage of this part of gaming and this mm-hmm. type of game and stuff too uh more than anything else but it is interesting to me too that they like the, you know the the way they structured the hint reveal on this with that red decoder shit is not how it was always done there were precursors to this with markers and shit you know and like mm-hmm. i said we'll talk about that but uh all very interesting yeah just kind of the the again the wild wild west aspect of this is is a really interesting part of it uh, so back to the book, they then finish it up with after you finish the game, dire- or and after you finish the game directive, and that reads, the last section of this book contains a pointless for the game. If you've played through and want to see what you might have missed, take a look. And again, it's the, this is like a proto iteration of the completionist fucking trophy hunt the achievements (laughs) you know like uh they didn't know achievements it really is right yes for sure yeah they didn't know what to call it that yet but yes that is the i've already beat the game now i go back and like maximize 
what I can get out of this game, and particularly that $140 that I spent in 2023. <laughs> <laughs> there is then a page and a half of creative work that is written by Roger Wilco himself in character, and that's a really cool, interesting choice for this hint book. Uh, my exploits as a space hero or how I learned to stop thinking and love the Space Quest series, which is clearly a play on the title of Kubrick's 64 Cold War satire, Dr. Strangelove, or how I learned to stop worrying and love the bomb. Have you ever seen that movie? Nope. You should watch it, man. And I, I will preface that by saying I really struggle to watch anything pre-80s movie-wise. It's all customarily very boring and stilted the dialogue the cinematography all of it kind of just feels like a play happening in front of a camera on sticks you know Mm. and that is a very boring storytelling uh form to me uh so i was absolutely shocked to enjoy this movie as much as i did and how smart brilliant hilarious and even i would say kind of contemporary feeling which again 1964 <laughs> fucking okay. forever ago and i might have watched the movie it might have been a decade ago i watched it uh so you know take 10 years off that but still an insane amount of time had passed and yeah i was in awe by how much i was amused and laughed at that movie it is it is huh. a really really smart commentary on the cold war and uh you know just the mentality at the time towards nuclear Everything, yeah. Hmm. I'll throw it on the list. Actually, that's yeah. It's, it's yeah, I don't really like highly, movies. Actually, they're usually not good. <laughs> Most of them aren't. I agree. And this one yeah. is. This is a good one. Even within, it's kind of. I think it's odd for a Kubrick movie, to some degree. Kubrick, the rest of his filmography. While I like a lot of it, um, I mean, you like Full Metal Jacket. Yeah, that's great. So you like you you you're you're predetermined to like the filmmakers shit i think so that even more so uh i think it makes it a good recommendation but yeah okay i'll check it out very smart jaws pre-80s very good yeah jaws is good yeah no i'm not saying there's not any i I didn't say i yes i did not mean that i did not mean to come off like that but i just wanted to reference that's my favorite movie of all time and it happens to be pre-80s i start thinking about the other ones that are in my top 10 list uh and most of them are much more Contemporary, right? Yeah. And, you know, the funny thing you say that about Jaws, Jaws, while it may have been in 1974, I believe. I was 78? Well, yeah, something like that. 70s either way. It is thought of as, you know, it's the first summer blockbuster. It's a very very forward-thinking, for-the-time film, you know, while so much of that horror thriller stuff is just common vernacular today. That was like mind blowing uh, cinema. <laughs> yeah, at the yeah. Time. I mean, they, they, so, they famously had a ton of issues doing all the filming. Probably sure, now that yeah. you say that, probably because it was so new and modern. Yep. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And that forward. shark that they yeah. built was, yeah, way beyond anything that anybody else had done. Anyone had tried to do animatronic? Well, yeah. No, it's absolutely. Right. And and it's funny too how. I just listened to something on this recently. It's uh, the the beautiful thing about that is that movie would have sucked if that shark would have worked right uh, because they uh, would have shown it. They would have shown it a ton. And the, oh. the yeah, so much of that movie's magnitude is not the, seeing the shark. Yeah, that we can't see it, and there's all this fucking tension that comes out of that that would not have been there if uh, 
um, Spielberg could have shown that shark as much as he was trying to, you know. Yeah, which um, is like he should have known that because the scariest thing about sharks is you can't see them. Maybe, but the funny thing is, again, that that it's was not even an, it was not even as a even the science, the marine science of the time was inconceivably archaic to what we think uh, uh, just common knowledge is of shark behavior, shark mm-hmm. all that shit. Like it, you know, yes, they were a scary thing in the ocean. That was true at the time, but no one knew shit about them. So. You know, his, him even taking that movie, I think, I don't think he wanted to necessarily do it, if I recall reading Easy Riders Raging Bulls, which is a phenomenal film history book, if you want to read a film history book. Nope. Uh, he talked a lot about it in there, or there's a lot of talk in there, rather, about it, how it was, you know, I mean, it was not, it's not like, <laughs> it's not, you know, a, 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 a shark's creature film is not, was not a sought after job. That's why he got it at that neophyte stage. He was like fucking 20 something <laughs> when he, when he, when he directed that film. Gotta take, so gotta eat. So, right, right. So, yeah, there's a, there was a lot of, uh, really, really opportune happenstance that led to that film being what it became for sure. Mm-hmm. Anyways, yeah, this anyway. is written from a postmodern perspective relative to the happenings of Space Quest 1 after Roger has experienced all that he will go through in sequels 2 through 4. So that's an interesting aspect about it as well. Mm-hmm. It's written in a delusionally comical tone, propping Roger up as a hero much more so than the games actually play out, which tends to be by way of victory by the blindest of idiot luck, if you don't know how Space Quest games work. Uh, this was probably conceived as more of a sales tool to sell copies of the sequels than anything else, I think. You know, he's kind of talking about the narrative of the sequels past this game mm-hmm. uh, in a, this kind of interesting and fantastical way that I think is intended to incentivize you to want to play them. <laughs> yeah, it just kind of gives you like a little brief glimpse into what the games are and wants you to be like, oh, that seems silly and fun. Let me try for it sure. out for 140, yeah. 2020. Yeah, for 140 bucks. Right, 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 right. Pages 8 and 9 are housekeeping stuff about how to work with the point and click UI and I think rather inarguably should have been in the manual and not the hint book. I don't know what the fuck <laughs> that wasn't included for, but... They also explain how to change the animation speed, which I, th- which was a major thing in 1990 PC land. That again, it's just something that you would. It just there's no way for you to even a, a modern gamer that didn't live through this era trying to explain this to them. I think it just they're. I think they're fucking it would just melt their brain. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. so, this game could run on a very wide swath of machines. We talked about the disparity of our original playthrough machine versus today's, but even within the uh, spectrum of computers that even uh, in a reasonable uh, number of standard deviations from the mean at the time uh, would have been, even if you you know you say just one, maybe we're talking computers that would have been uh, retailed between. 1989 and 1995, maybe a six-year span. The the processor variance, the RAM availability variance. I talked about how even at the time behind my computer was, you know, that's mm-hmm. why it was a hand-me-down because Ted had bought a 75 megahertz Acer, you know. So <laughs> that's a 50. Say if it was 20, it's a 55 megahertz difference, which isn't a lot of megahertz, but it is. More than three times as much, <laughs> almost four times as much. So that machine capability variance 
was huge, and it made how fast the like these these programs, modern computers, have shit built into them to stabilize this. Like the emulators in particular of these old games, they balance this shit out behind the curtain without even the user having to think about it. You know, mm-hmm. they are able to emulate the speed of the machines the games originally happened on, and are able to you know basically dial down how fast the computer that it's playing on is actually running, which is, you know, light years faster. And if it ran at the speed that the computer that we're playing on now wanted to run it, you wouldn't even be able to see what's happening. (laughs) It would look like neurons circling a fucking, you know, in an atom. (laughs) So, yeah, the you could go in and manually change the speed at which the game ran. Mm-hmm. So, because in these, you know, we're, you're actually, we're pointing and clicking here. The parser version you have, this is even more important, because you're just using arrow keys to move around. So if the game speed's too fast, you hit left and you just walk off a fucking cliff four screens yep. over before you can even fucking do anything, you know? I was having a hard time getting indoors sometimes because I was running on the fastest speed sometimes. Yeah. So, yeah, huge, just huge, huge, huge fucking thing uh, at the time. So they actually bother to explain this to you and that you might want to tweak it if you're having trouble controlling your shit, <laughs> which is, yeah, just a, such a testament to the time that I, I loved thinking about. Yeah. Like there's nobody will ever have to worry about that ever again. Right, right, right. The next six pages are a cool look into Sierra HQ and the process of updating the game from the original AGI version, which is what that uh, that version you were playing is the AGI version, and this modern VGA version we are playing. And some notable things in here for me were the improved graphics that led to them building out actual gameplay sequences quite a bit, the cave systems in particular, and that they used three-dimensional clay models to create the opening credit sequence, which the mm-hmm. image behind me on the video feed right now is the first of those three. Uh, and yeah, they actually did kind of, you know, I don't know, think fucking... Tim Burton, Beetlejuice type shit mm-hmm. to build those uh, and then film them and then digitize them in this pixelated form, which is a lot of work <laughs> to just do an opening credit sequence. But uh, that's what they were trying to do is step up the game significantly for these. The rest of the book is actual pages of hints, and to mask these, they used a tactic that you'd see a lot in toys and shit in the 80s, and uh, yeah, I think this is really fun. They used these blocks of red ink printed on top of a slightly darker, bluish maybe, text color, and you'd get, uh, as an accompaniment to books like this, or any toy that used this kind of technology, if you want to call it technology, uh, you would get a decoder tool with a transparent but red-tinted piece of plastic that you could hover over the text, and it would, in theory, make the red ink invisible and the text below easy to read. And I tried really hard, uh, unsuccessfully, unfortunately, to find a shot of the decoder tool they provided with this. Uh, I'm sure it was something that, you know, any time it came with anything, it would be themed. It would be a little tool that you could hold in your hand. So it would be themed. It probably was some sort of, I don't know, space questy type thing, you know, mm-hmm. that uh, I was sad to not be able to find an image of because I'm sure it was fun. Yeah, that's wild. You should be able to just find like a, a red light you know, uh, filter, right? Uh, you could also do, yeah. I mean, that, that, that would, would also. work, but I'm sure they did right. some sort of, like, specific thing. Yeah. No, it was, it was just a, literally a piece of... Pl- it was it basically, honestly, what it was, was if you can think of 3D glasses, those those red and blue 3D glasses, mm-hmm. it was just the red panel. That yeah, was that's kind of what I picture. Eye. Right. That's exactly what it was. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, holding it over would make the red shit go away, basically. You could read whatever's below it, so... Mm-hmm. 
So looking for that, I also found the AGI hint book, and those utilize, so I was saying there's, you know, this this is the hint book that is specifically for the VGA version, point-and-click version. The hint book that they released back, uh, and I forget what the year was, I probably will have it somewhere here in the notes, but when they they released the AGI version, the, the parser version, they also had a hint book then, and those used a lot, utilized markers that would make hidden text appear when you colored what appeared to be an empty box with it. So mm. instead of the clearly visible question, then a red box covering up all the, the bullet points with the answers, per se, that's in this book, you have a the question and then a just a white box with a border below it, and you would take the marker and start just coloring strips horizontally at the top mm-hmm. to slowly reveal text that would that would kind of tip you off on what to do. And I absolutely have a memory of my cousin having one of these for either game, uh, either this game, or this is also where I played King's Quest Three at her house when I was like fucking, I don't know, five or six. And it's a great bit of nostalgia to think about its impression on me at the time, this book with the mark and doing the, the tactileness of using the marker to find, to get answers, you know, and like, again, kind of just like I described the subnautica thing, how you're reading in like a weird way, but you're mm-hmm. doing the same thing. You're coloring and like literally reading as you're coloring, like, and you want to stop the second you as get it. As quickly as you can, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's just... Yeah, completely different we need to bring this back. It. This is the this is the way to do it. I, I don't it's mean awesome. to sound like the fucking guy who's like oh, the only real music ever made was when I was a teenager, which right. is also true. Emo is the best, but yeah, we need to go back to this. I you know all that shit. Uh, re- everything retro is new, uh, as they say. So it's it's very much I think something that would get embraced if you took the initiative to it's got to be properly marketed for it to be consumed but yeah i think if if someone with the reach and visibility to attract attention to it and get it to the uh retro heads that would really really dig that kind of thing i think yeah it very much is something that you could do with modern hint stuff especially with these kind of games because yeah man I, i like i said there is like you bitch about it with a little more vehemence there is no it's not it doesn't exist like this kind of slow burn reveal Mm-hmm. of information for these games is not does not exist in any form uh, yeah. on the internet that I know of anyways. Uh, by all means, uh, write in to isohpodcast.gmail.com if, if if we're doing it wrong and you know of where we can find stuff like this mm-hmm. for games like Subnautica. Uh, or, you know, I mean, God, just a, a fucking... Which you still got to play, you fucking twat. Uh, oh, Outer Wilds. Probably. Outer Wilds is like the greatest example of this. Like... There was something, same thing. That game is even that, more... It seems like it would really lend itself to this style of... Oh, my of, God, uh, yes. Yeah. Oh, my God, because... Oh, wow, there, yeah. Just the little bit that I did play, like, it would really work. Yeah, this, the... Because it is all about information. There is no, like, actual... There's a little bit of, like, oh, you have to go here and do this to make this happen. But because of the time loop aspect of the game, actual moment-to-moment accomplishment is irrelevant. You're just trying to understand. And yes, when I had the few times I had looked stuff up, again, for just functional fucking UI stuff almost, I was all oh horrified. Yeah, terrified about ruin, especially because there is a whole fucking, that game has a whole zeitgeist about how much you will ruin your life if you do that to yourself. <laughs> like, to deprive yourself of the natural uh, reveal of that game's story is a tragic thing to do to yourself if you're enjoying the game. So, yeah, uh, I think this shit could, could, could land if it was done right. 
Yeah, I think yeah, I think these were better for encouraging you to sort puzzles on your own, and you could yeah, kind of sort of see the text below the red ink in these decoder pages if you let your eyes wander too much, and that was a an aspect of this too that you could kind of, uh, in the same way again I just described, you could like you could kind of see it, so like the slight marring of it almost did that for you. That may be subconsciously where I came up with that idea of only reading, <laughs> you know, is having this this super latent memory of, of, of these these decoder-type uh, hint books. Because, mm-hmm. um, yeah, the, the marker situation was a more deliberate omission of failure, you know? Like yeah, because you can't take that back. Right, exactly. And, and you know, even the, re- the thing is with these... You don't even necessarily have to decode the red portion. Just reading the question might Could do jar it. whatever you need jarred to think of a, a different approach or a different solution or whatever it might be, mm-hmm. you know. So, yeah, just a really, really cool um, aspect of, of these games. Is, is yeah. Way. And you had, because again, no internet. You had to have something like this because it is a very, when you hit a wall, you hit a fucking wall. Yeah, in, that in was these it. Games. Yeah, it is you like, didn't just get on the internet and check, not necessarily, yeah. especially if Mad Mike had a phone call coming in. Yeah, right. Fuck off the internet. Yeah. Yeah, keep yeah. this keep this off the uh, recording because uh, I don't want to give people, I don't want to give pretty good business ideas away to the general public. <laughs> you, could, yeah. you could probably do this for games. Like Subnautica, you can just like produce your own hint book with this kind oh, of shit. Oh, for sure, for sure. And that's you know, and, like what? stylize it, like you know, like bound it up somehow, like in a book. I mean, you could just do it with like fucking you know Microsoft Word or something. I'm sure there's like a reveal thing or whatever. But yeah, like you could easily like stylize these, bind them up, and sell them on Etsy for like you know money. Oh, one thousand percent. It's actually the not unoffic- a terrible it, idea. It's the, the official unlicensed. Uh... You know, that's the text they for. It's like those books, those how to win a Nintendo games books. They, they and that, that's not illegal to do that. Like, here's my no, hint book not. about Subnautica. No, well, everything. It's your I mean, own. Everything's illegal against the little guy, man. You don't don't uh, disparage me. You know, you might get a, you might get a letter and have to lit, have to do some litigation. Uh, yeah, call if, a lawyer. If, it costs six hundred dollars an hour. Here we go. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure. You know, if especially if if it really started making money, they would try to fucking jump your shit a little bit or have their lawyers at least scare you. Uh, but yeah, I mean, as long as, you know, you can't copyright ideas, you can co- you have to copyright an actual piece of work. So if the text is actually origi- original that you're writing, what you're writing about is fine. It's it's commentary on an existing thing. That's, you know, the okay. documentary IP um, precedent. That's the reason documentaries can exist. Yeah, oh, okay, I see the connection there, yeah. Yeah, you know what I mean? You 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 are allowed to have commentary on other people's creative works. Mm-hmm. It just has to be original commentary and not a repurposing of someone else. It's why AI is a, a thing <laughs> right now. Okay. Uh, All right, so, so we will, back into the podcast. Yes, so we will discuss the applicable sections and how much we chose slash had to use them after discussing the corresponding part of the game tackled without hints. SCIDHub.exe at your dose command prompt, and the program fires up, starting with the iconic Sierra Online logo full screen. And now that we're talking about it, it jarred a, a thought in my mind. These all had a really fun, if you're fucking a dose nerd, a DOS nerd of the, of the time, all these games came 
once you installed them, they always had a batch file that was just sq1.bat or kq3.bat, you know, that would... And if you know what batch files are, too, they were basically like a really short text file that was a series of DOS command, of DOS commands that a lot of these games, again, part of the customization of the, your shitty old system to make these games work on it would be to allocate a certain amount of physical memory, whatever it might be, all these fucking... It's the config sys file, basically. Like, the config sys and autoexec bat files were startup files that would do this exact thing. But you could also do this stuff... Uh, with commands and, and DOS and kind of reallocate things to tweak and make a game uh, or make the system better geared to be able to run a certain program. And these batch files that would often have some sort of additional stuff in them um, that would take it out of the user's hands and kind of streamline it. That, and that, because yeah, I, when I first got this, I also had trouble running it. On, in DOSBox, even after the mounting part of it, the mounting the drive and whatever, like mm. those are just DOSBox commands that you didn't have to do with the you know OG version of DOS. But yeah, this Skidhub, I, I found this by trial and error because there were some other files in there that yes, I ran and I didn't start the program, <laughs> you know. And there was I was looking for one of those batch files, <laughs> but there fucking wasn't one of them. Uh, so that was an uh, interesting thing to compare. Well, I'm to. glad you troubleshot it first because yeah. I'm gonna get that set up for next time. Yeah, the it's major quality of life difference. I the AGI version of this super clunky. So well, it was. I guess it was fun uh, just for me to do because it, it made me just work for it a little bit, and that means we can also talk. If we were smart, actually, we would just have one of us do one and one of be us be do doing the other. that. So, yeah, and I guess you know they mention in the in the hint book how they talked about the differences, you know, and the actual differences story wise are minuscule. Mm-hmm. You know, the they they basically just did things that embraced the graph like the, the graphical fidelity i guess is probably the best way to, to to term it because you had a higher fidelity and could see what the fuck and understand what the fuck was happening yeah visually better they could build things out a little more and add some more i don't know just interactivity things you know um that couldn't be in those older really pixelated versions because you didn't know what the fuck you were looking at um yeah, it's not a bad idea to maybe alternate those and play different way, play the different versions. We you don't know. need to complicate this. Yeah, <laughs> we'll Let's see. Yeah, we'll game. see how this one plays out. That's that's part of the beauty of the first one. Yeah, uh, once we, we once I start saying out. again in that opening sequence, we'll know a little bit better how to do these. <laughs> so the intro music kicks in. Well, actually, that's a good question. When you fire it up on there, does that? They don't have those Sierra logos, so they didn't have the graphical fidelity. Maybe they did, though. When it starts up, does it have a Sierra logo? When I fired it up, yeah, I, it, it did the Sierra. Let me pull it up one more time to confirm that. What game is this? Space Quest. Right. Yeah, I guess maybe it's probably just a clunkier version. So, yeah, I think of these, this opening, that opening thing as a, as a VGA uh, thing. Mm-hmm. That they didn't have those in the in the old text parser ones, but maybe I'm wrong about that. Yeah, this hits me with just Space Quest Chapter One, the Saurian Encounter, okay. with some music. So no. yeah, because they, yeah, yeah, they do it like the, the way they did this, these logos for the VGA versions. You know, they like fully embraced that they could like, you know, it it looks like a medallion. You can see like a little bit of a shine on, like a a light hitting it. You know, they try to add some some perspective to it, some visual perspective, uh, some three D ness, you know, to it. Um, 
In any event, the intro music kicks in, and we cut to a series of three signs that were what the hint book uh, said were clay models, Space Quest 1, The Syrian Encounter, starring Roger Wilco. And it then cycles through all the credits in the manual masthead, various space objects flying through space, like there's just a bunch of imagery, space imagery they make part of the sequence before getting to a shot of the Syrian warship modeled after a green praying mantis attaching itself to a golden spaceship. And that is the Arcata. And the image behind me right now is this X, uh, actual shot. There's some text cut in here to deliver the story we read in the manual, if you're not a big manual reader. And then it cuts to a bi-level shot of the hallways of the Arcata, Roger bumbling out of the broom closet and a flying robot whizzes by spinning in circles and hands in the air while a red alert warning alarm sign goes off next to the door. We can also see a dead body on the lower floor and then a text box pops up. You're startled by the sound of an alarm. Breaking through it, the intercom crackles with the frightened voice of a technician shouting that the Arcata has been boarded by unknown intruders. The transmission ends abruptly in a soundstorm of white noise, soon overtaken by the cold din of silence. You hear the overly cheerful voice of the ship's computer say, Destruct sequence is engaged 15 minutes till detonation. And that part is actually delivered in a full digitized speech female voice that is indeed overly cheerful, I would say, for the information she's delivering. And then a clock showing 15 minutes appears in the lower right corner of the screen and begins counting downward immediately. So, yes, I'm certainly interested to hear how the AGI version might differ on that opening thing. There's clearly no voice. (laughs) So no digitized voice. Yeah, there was Uh, no voice. I don't remember even the the warning about the self-destruct because I went over that 15 minutes and then self-destructed. And I was like, oh, shit, that can happen. So I started over. They don't give you text in the beginning? I don't remember it. seeing it. I mean, I I played it, I don't know, like a week ago or maybe, if I don't know, I don't remember. I could play it again. It takes seconds to catch up. <laughs> um, yeah, be, yeah, there's, I mean, they... That would be really interesting because what that would insinuate is they expect you to read the manual no matter what. And yeah, and that's not implausible for the time to, like I said, that we, we've said a million, it's beat a dead horse to say the expectation then was you were going to read that cover to cover uh, or at least a good portion of it, particularly the, definitely right. the setup, the story setup was often excluded by necessity from the actual in-game experience because of an inability to portray it. So... Uh, but that would be crazy to me if they're not even they don't have the text like explaining what that counter means. <laughs> yeah, let me insane. I'm gonna try it real quick here. But um, yeah, that could be like a you know an anti piracy thing too. Like, oh, sorry, you don't have the textbook. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> you don't need to know the information. Yeah, you yeah, don't know you how are startled by works. this. You're startled by the sound of an alarm, which is followed by an urgent voice, which warns that the Arcadia has been boarded by unknown intruders. It ends abruptly, and then I'm just playing. Yeah, yeah, okay. that's it. Well, it says the alarm. At least you understand it's an alarm. I guess nothing yeah, about there's detonation, n- though. Yeah, nothing about detonation, for sure. Huh. Well, yes, then you're playing Space Quest, and the way you do that in this SCI version that I played anyways is with a point-and-click cursor that you can turn into various different methods of interacting with the environment by way of a menu bar. You make appear by moving the cursor anywhere along the top of the screen. There are ten buttons on that menu bar. There is walk, look, take, slash, manipulate by hand, speak, smell, taste, 
And those last two being present are wild, I think, mm-hmm. and present the opportunity for a ton of the game's humor, mm-hmm. the the smell and the taste options. And there is an empty box that you populate by way of the next button, a little satchel that brings up a box showing everything in your inventory. And with that inventory box up, you can still access all the menu bar stuff to allow you to look at, manipulate, smell, taste the items in your inventory. In this case, you currently start with or you start the game with three buckazoids and that as i mentioned is the common currency of the galaxy at the time and that is it as far as inventory goes so yeah how well i guess i'll finish this menu bar shit there's a ninth button uh that's a little control board slider that opens up a dialog box that's a bunch of settings shit you can save restore restart quit return yada 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 play and then there's also sliders right there for you to change visual detail, uh, kind of just the graphical fidelity to some degree or another. If it's too detailed, maybe your 20 megahertz system is slower than it, you want it to be, whatever it might be. Uh, you can also change audio volume, and then there's the game speed slider too that we mentioned earlier. There's also a credits button and a really smart help button that changes the cursor to a question mark, and you can click on anything on screen to bring up a dialogue box explaining what the fuck it does, and I was very surprised that it had an in-game help. Like, that's still the form... That's still the way the help interface is in Civilization VI, you know? So mm-hmm. I was shocked that it had that in this game. <laughs> yeah, I was too. That that one is present. Um, I think you're going to ask what my shit looked like? Yeah, exactly. Basically, what, what the fucking... I mean, I guess maybe you do type inventory for it to list off an inventory. How do you look at your inventory? So what I you look at your inventory by hitting um, tab. Yeah, you inventory by tab, or you can escape and then you go into the the menus above. You know, at the top of the screen, I got Sierra file action special and speed. Oh, so it has like a Windows title bar. I forgot that it even had that. Yeah, okay. but like action only has C object and inventory. So they have uh, hotkeys attached to those. C object is is F4, but that's it. So, like, when I played this game, I just had to, like, go to everything and just, like, type. Look, look, computer. Nope, that doesn't yeah. work. Look, panel. That worked a lot. Uh, one that pissed me off was look screen. Like, uh, <laughs> <okay>. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah that, other than that, that that's, that's that, kind it, of it. It's funny you, you mentioned that. Yeah, the way, even in the point and click version, that data archive machine works stupid in a stupid way okay so it's funny to me that that almost makes me feel better about it that it was deliberate that they like carried that clunkiness over which is probably that's you know that i can see that being a deliberate creative choice because roger's a moron so you're not supposed to understand how to use it and it should feel goofy (laughs) yeah you could just role play the um the shortcoming yeah so, you know, funny thing, you're playing that AGI version because there's a very interesting note here because there's a score counter on that setting screen. And the AGI version of the game, and I believe this is always in the title bar in the top right, right? Now that I think about it, I do remember that title bar. It, shows the, it shows the score. Like, Yeah, I got the score there too. Okay, right. So this, yeah, you the AGI version of the game has 202 possible points that you can accumulate in the game, which I assumed meant that there was just, because there's 201 in the VGA, VGA version, the SCI version. So I assume that meant that there was just one stupid small accomplishment that somehow was lost in the interface upgrade, you know? Mm-hmm. But that is actually not the case. You can Google lists of scored events in the game in both versions, side by side, and look at, the, you know, how much each event is worth. And the numbers are all over the fucking place. So it, it just mm-hmm. happens 
in the aggregate to net out to a one point difference in the upgrade um, by way of a million different variables as opposed to just one. So I thought that kind of interesting. Okay. Hmm. So if you if you're a total Space Quest head, uh, that is probably an interesting Google to look at the differences of those and and because it's you know the the number of points you get. To some degree, there's probably some incentive to make it like, how hard of an accomplishment is this? That's how many points. A, a correlating number of points relative to the overall should be accumulated for accomplishing a harder task versus an easy one. But I also kind of look at it knowing Sierra's mentality for these games and kind of there's a humorous component to it that it, I almost think of that Around the Horn. Is it Around the Horn a show on ESPN where they like award points, but it's arbitrary? You know, yes, like yes. there's no Around actual the right, yeah, and it's just got the host. He just like gives you points. He just like randomly clicking the button when you say something based on his own in the moment perception uh, of how the show's going. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, uh, which I think maybe is more what they meant, what they had in mind, which is probably why it changed so much for the upgrade because they're just like, I don't care. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't actually matter. Yeah, it doesn't fucking matter. And then the last button on the menu bar is a help icon that offers the same help dialog boxes for each of these buttons. So it's basically just allows you to do it with the rest of the game. You can also right, in, in the case of this UI, you can right click on the mouse button to cycle through these interaction modes a bit faster, which is a, a welcome quality of life offering that, uh, again, I was kind of surprised to see uh, or find rather. So yeah, so okay, so tab. I guess just to be fully, fully. So tab. So you had to type everything. It's worth saying then the, the way the parser works is yes, you have to type everything. Did you even think to smell things or like? like did did you even I did remember not. that? Okay, yeah. No. So um, I'd be curious. I can certainly kind of like. Dig yeah, is that again. is that even uh an, well, let me an try aspect? Smell yeah. room. That does not compute. That does not. Taste so they don't. Room's not going to work. Okay, try an individual item, though. So I tried to taste room and said that act would lack any serious gratification. <laughs> okay. That's yeah, kind of what it says. Actually. Yeah, that's kind of what it says for most of the stuff that you try to use those commands on in the point and click, too. It's like, you don't Oh, yeah, you know, I just got the key card. Let me try to taste the key card. Taste. Right. Key card. That act would lack any serious gratification. Taste. Okay, so the same thing. Card. Go, go try to taste one of the dead bodies, because that definitely oh, gives that's you. that's a good idea. Yeah, that, that definitely gives you a specific piece of copy in the point taste and click that's that's body. relevant to only tasting that. <laughs> taste body, that act would lack any serious gratification. Okay, so let me so try from I, the other I, side yeah, though. Yeah, I think they don't I, I think maybe that just wasn't a part of the, the game then. They must have introduced that as part of the point and click deal, you know. Just a fun Yeah. Fun Can't thing. taste or smell the bodies. Okay. Okay. So that's interesting that they that that was a a new idea that they had for this UI. They must have just thought that the potential for this was limitless and why not have, you know, when you put it in icon form, they start thinking about like the full five senses of, you know, because it is just, it's an eye that they use for look mm-hmm. on the on the bar. They have a hand for touch, you know, so they must have just been like, well, we're, you know, we already have half of them. <laughs> Right. You know, and then there's a talk one, you know, a talk bubble rather. Not that that's a sense, but interesting, interesting. Yeah. 
So now we start exploring. You can go left or right, and you'll find elevators that can oscillate you between the upper and lower hallways. And does it function the same way? Is it, is it a bi-level deal? On the yeah, PGI? it's just like, uh, remember that game Spy vs. Spy? Yes. Yep. Yeah, that's that. It's as soon as I came out of the, 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 the custodial closet, I was like, oh shit, Spy vs. Spy. <laughs> so periodically, you'll get a message that reads, as you're just moving around the space, I mean, you, you'll get a message that reads, you hear footsteps approaching. In response to which, you need to hop in an, ele- in an elevator to the opposite level stat before the Syrian soldiers enter from off screen that are patrolling the ship and trying to vape uh, people. And how, because ex- in, yeah, does it function the same? Like, do you even have those interactions, I guess, in the AGI version? I would assume so. That's so much of the mechanic here. Yeah, that one works exactly the same. Hear footsteps, get away. If you don't, you get clapped. Okay, word. So when you, if you're able to evade them and, 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 and get out of the space that they're walking into quick enough, it read, you get a message that reads, failing to notice anyone or anything in the room, the Syrian guards decide to check elsewhere. Way to go, Roger. If you dick around too long, though, and they see you, they mow you down with their laser rifles, yes. And it reads, the aliens observe their handiwork briefly before looking for others to process in similar fashion. And after your body slumps to the floor, in the case of the VGA version... The a dialogue box pops up that shows a close-up shot of Roger dead on the ground with a hole right in the middle of his forehead. And the text that accompanies that is, as you lie on the floor in a smoldering, carbo-gelatinous heap, you just can't help but wonder why you bothered getting up this morning, and then you can choose between restore, restart, quit. And the the devs have took the time to give you some funny copy like this for all of the near-countless ways this and all Sierra Adventure games can kill you. <laughs> Do they give you any kind of presentation for die? Did you even die? No. Yes, I died uh, several times, and I got the uh, the commentary though. I didn't get the uh, what sounds the to be very graphic visual. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's not surprising. I would expect that um, shortcoming to be the case. I'll be ready for next time. So to the right on the lower level, you find dead bodies of a male and female near each other. And looking over them reads, a cursory glance indicates that Dave, a lab technician, is dead. Normally, you wouldn't be able to tell except that his intestines are hanging out on out of the scorched opening where his abdominal wall used to be. You remember that he was forced to serve in the Xenon National Guard. And then in a parenthetical, it reads, but he wasn't bitter. <laughs> <laughs> and yes, this is one of the head research scientists. Uh, Blan- this is the woman. This is one of the head research scientists, Blanche. You wanted to get to know her a little better. However, seeing her ruptured chest wall reveals more about her than you were hoping to learn. And yes, that is a perfect example of how, I don't know, just the tone of the writing in, in these games is, probably all of Sierra games, is is very, you know, death is no big deal. And yeah. they want you to feel that. I, I think that is also a deliberate choice, not just a functional one, to create difficulty. I think they want you to try things. They want you to look at things. They want you to die. That's part of the intended flowchart of gameplay, is to die and have to retry things numerous times. <laughs> yeah, and that's... Yeah, the tone's like very blasé, too. I'm, I'm imagining that that's kind of like, a, you know, says something about the universe that you're existing in, too. Yes. Just like, you know, death is normal. And like, you know, I'm just a duncey custodian kind of blathering through all this as best right. I can. That just happens to be in this extraordinary situation. Right. Absolutely. 
There's a passage entryway between them in which a a room surrounded in glass that allows you to see the cosmos all around you. And there is a destroyed machine of some kind in the middle of the room, dead bodies flanking each side of it. Examining each of the bodies reveals Roger knows their names as well. And then there's some quip about being able to see their organs. And taking a gander at the machine reveals it is the star generator pedestal and that it was apparently trash when the Vandar trashed, uh, when the Vandals stole the generator itself. There is a small something or other flashing on the side of the pedestal, and you, if you take a look at it, uh, it reads, You find a small but heavy device affixed to the base of the star generator platform. It appears to be magnetic. That must be how the aliens upset the force field protecting the unit! Exclamation. And examine it in your inventory. It reads, it's a genuine widget. You're not sure what it does, but it's heavy. It looks cool, and it might be magnetic. Please keep this away from the game discs. And a magnet could corrupt and or erase data on old school computer media, folks. We lived in wild times in the 90s. <laughs> and be very careful with your magnet collection. Yes, absolutely. Uh, that's, a, that's a funny... You remember you set that speaker on top of your... Uh, I was just going to say, yeah, that immediately makes me think of fucking up yeah, that TV of mine. TV, Jesus Christ. Uh, yeah, Magnus are a big deal uh, back then. Very influential pieces of technology. Yeah, the you know it's if I so this is the, I did remember this one hundred percent. And judging, we'll get into the, the the hints later about it that I think kind of support this idea. But this is hard to notice. <laughs> In the, it's probably more. I bet it's more prominent in the AGI version. The, the this little so device on the side of the thing because in it had the to be. star generator. I'm not. There is nothing in here. Like you there's serious? no. You, where, where's this at specifically in the room? Do you know? It's it's stuck to the side of the the bait the the destroyed machine in the middle. Yeah, I wouldn't call this machine destroyed. A and B. There's definitely nothing stuck to the side. Where do you get? Is it the translator? It's the what is it called? The I think it's just called a magnetic widget. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, you, I get well. I guess we can carry on and see if you get the same thing I get later. Uh, yeah, same there's another device in the room that you, that he doesn't know what it is. There's another device in the room that leads out to the spaceship. Uh, that you get out of that drawer in the VGA version. Um, I think, yeah, I think that is the translator. Yeah, so push huh. left button, and then I take take widget. I think they even call it a widget. Nope, they call it a take gadget. And then tab for inventory. I got a gadget. That's all it says. Oh, okay. Well, that's the same thing. Okay, so you did get it. I guess so. <laughs> Turns okay. out. Okay. That's it's just in a different place. It's not in the star generator room. Oh, really? Where is it? It's in the uh the the right before you go into the airlock. Okay, so yeah, I think that's a different one. It's where you get the space suit. It's like okay, right, so in right. that fuck, are we doing? We can just cut this, I guess, and just do it another place or keep it. Who cares? In the room right before the airlock, I get the space suit and that widget. What do you get there? Yeah, you get another gadget. Uh, I can't remember the name of it either, but we'll get there. And then yes, the space suit for sure. Okay, so I just don't get what you got. Interesting. Huh. Okay, well, that'll be a super interesting variance. Uh, To the left of the start of where you you started there is uh, 
where you come out of the janitor closet, I mean, is a large room with a sit-down CRT console in the middle. And this is what we were bitching about earlier that's super clunky. This is the data archive unit with a robot at attention nearby and a door on the opposite wall. If you sit down and fiddle with the unit, you'll find the screen is broken and the keypad that pops up has the hieroglyphs in the manual. And when you try to go through the, fr the far door, a dialog box pops up. And the it says, the door opens. A man you recognize as one of the head lab scientists stumbles into the room. He appears to be in serious need of some abdo seal, abdomen filler. After only a few steps, he hits the floor with a disconcerting thud. And this accompanies a gray-haired guy in a lab coat stumbling in, falling to the floor, and reaching out towards Roger. And if you go over to him and take a closer look, it says a large laser hole has been burned in his uniform, giving you a nice view of previously unexposed tissue. Struggling painfully, he props himself up on one elbow. And then speaking to him, he says, The star generator is in danger. The Arcata is under attack. You you better get off this scow if you value your life, Wilco. And it's nice that he knows the janitor's name and makes mm -hmm. him a good team leader, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. Just before his system cease all functions, short of decay, he looks over toward the shelves full of cartridges and utters astral bodies. With one last gasp, his lifeless form slumps to the floor. Mm -mm. And if you try to talk to him again, his it says his audible forms of communication will be limited to what he can convey through the venting of bodily gases. <laughs> So Astral Bodies is one of the codes in the manual for the Planetary Reference Library catalog. So let's get some piracy prevention action going on. You punch that code in the console and it tells you cartridge found, now retrieving. And it cuts back to the wide shot of the room and the robot that was standing next to the machine buzzes over to some storage thing and grabs a cart, brings it back to you at the console. And yeah, so in the AGI version, how does this, does this piracy function exist and how does it get employed so it doesn't seem to exist and i didn't know that's what was going on i kind of just thought this was i thought it was just purely part of the story so i just went to the computer and after i uh, i think i mentioned it previously dicked around with way too specific typing look computer didn't work but look screen did okay i just typed yeah, the, in the screen is broken on the version of the vga you like it doesn't no yeah, I go to that and I hit look screen and then it like allows me to access that computer. I type in astral whatever he just what was it? Astral bodies. Astral bodies, right. Yeah, I type in the words astral bodies, not the hieroglyphs, and then it gets a cartridge and I take that cartridge. And then I have that cartridge in my inventory. Okay, yeah, that's so yeah, then it's the yeah, there's definitely no piracy function there. Yeah, and um... it seems to indicate that it would have some sort of gameplay mechanic if I if it's in my inventory. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, you'll need that later, uh, no doubt. Um, and yeah, I get it as well from this flowchart of mine. Okay. Uh, but yeah, it's yeah they basically gatekept that acquisition, which is you know an integral part of the beginning of the game, with that code being from the book. And actually, that's a funny thing too. I didn't think to say when we were going through the book is I think that's the only time you need to reference that table. So really, everything else is fluff there, and this doesn't change. It's always astral bodies that that scientist yeah. says. Every time you play the game, you know, if they were, if it was really a good piracy function, that would change every time. And you would need right. to know that whole table. Because really what you need to do is, you don't even need to photocopy that page. You can just write down, you can just draw that particular code. <laughs> yeah. And you, you would be all set uh, for getting past this part of it, or the piracy stuff. So if you keep heading left past that uh, data archive room, you'll hit another dead body. 
uh, or dead end rather, with a body, and rooting around through that dead body, car- or that through that carcass, you'll find that his name was Jerry. So again, uh, Wilco knows everybody's name, which is pretty good on Wilco's behalf as well. And that was Jerry has a key card that you'll need later. And I had accomplished all those things that I've described so far in about a third of that 15 minute countdown, just to give mm-hmm. an idea of how quickly you can buzz through this. Uh, these hallways all loop around in a circle, and you you realize after a few screens in either direction that that's the case. And there's an elevator conspicuously marked with the yellow and black construction hazard pattern on the lower level on one of these screens. And that is the last real POI in the starting area. So, if uh, I mean, obviously, if you know what you're doing, that's applicable to this entire game. If you know what you're doing, you can probably beat this game in like fucking 12 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> probably wouldn't take that long. Right, uh, but uh, even if you're just kind of poking around, uh, 15 minutes is probably pretty generous, uh, as long as you understand the interface and kind of, you know, how the game functions and what it expects of you, I think. Um, it's pretty quick to, to blow through this and get to that elevator heading downstairs. And then once you come out of that elevator downstairs, it opens up into a large room with a red floor. A couple ship gadgets are in here that you can't really interact with, uh, or Roger doesn't know how to anyways, even if he wants to. And you can head to the right from here, where a machine shaped like a joystick with a couple of screens on it dominates the space. And uh, you get a message that pops up that says, On the screen is some green dude you've never seen the likes of. He seems to be talking, but the audio is out in this area of the ship. And you, if you walk a little bit into this room, you hear footsteps here. But there's no way in hell you can reach the other side of the screen in time before the Sarians get on screen. And there's no elevator or door to walk into and hide in or move to. So you kind of got to... This killed me a few times. I didn't figure this out right away. Uh, But I eventually was reminded... It like came back to me because of just the way this screen looks on the WGA version. Mm. The other big prominent fixture in this room, in addition to that oversized joystick is a large mouse. So it's kind of interesting that they chose that, like these control devices for these kinds of games at the time as actual in-room decoration. You know, I think that was a funny choice. But you have to hide basically behind the mouse in the case of, there's like, there's a wind, there's windows back there and the windows at each seam of the window have, have these large steel I don't know what the fuck to call them, but like these wings maybe that come that stick out of the the seams, and between that and the mouse, you can completely obscure Roger's sprite and hide behind that for hmm. the Syrians coming into the room and then not seeing anything and leaving, and then you can walk out screen right after they leave, you know. So that's how you handle it in the VGA version. I'm guessing it's different. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we definitely don't. I didn't have that in this one. Uh, what it Oh, it's got clapped again. Uh, what it actually ended up being is you just don't leave the elevator. So, like, there were times where I would, like, come out of an elevator, or, in, like, that elevator where you're about to go all the way to the right. Mm-hmm. That's what you're talking about? Yeah. So, like, I get into an elevator on another screen. It takes me over to that screen. Now it's a new screen uh, to the right, I guess. I guess I don't really know. And then as soon as that door opens up, it says, you hear footsteps. And I was like, well, then I'm not going to move. And I didn't move, and it gave me something like, 
the alien, not seeing anything, moves on to his next task or some shit like that. Oh, okay. Yeah. So yeah, there was no, is... like, nothing to hide behind okay, for this yeah. one. So that's, that's a perfect example of them, like, because it's a more... I didn't realize this would be so different. I would have, I would have re- like, contacted you about install much sooner than yeah. this. Well, that's, the, that's exactly what they're saying. Yeah, they, they kind of, like, they embrace the fact that because you could see it differently and you had better control also over with the point-and-click thing. Right. You, you know, so they, they took opportunities to kind of... Incorporate it, that. Yeah, make it more interactive and more, uh, like, pixel control dependent, you mm-hmm. know? Because, yeah, there's a... I'm almost... I'll be shocked if you can do it in the airlock where the ship is. Mm-hmm. There's a death possibility that I mm-hmm. just will be... There's just no way that that was part of the move with arrow keys version of the game, you know? Mm-hmm. Huh. It is kind of interesting to hear... The differences, though, I don't think it necessarily detracts from our exchange. There's some level of differences that would be interesting to hear the contrasting experience of, I guess. But yeah, but so far I wouldn't say it's anything that's like so like oh my god that's fucking so different. Right, right. Well, that device being gone, like I, that's interesting. <laughs> that's yeah, interesting I guess that device. actually is a decent example. That's a pretty good because that's I don't remember what that does yet, but. You know it does something, and that's yeah, why you can get it in the beginning. Uh, so yeah, it'll be interesting to hear where that po- how that course corrects. Uh, so yeah, yeah. After dying, I died a few times in here, and this came back to me like a non flashback, having to hide behind that fucking mouse. You know, like, <laughs> oh yeah, 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 yeah. Because this was also something you. Because it's, it's it's not intuitive. It's just not looking at this. Even I don't you know, even if you're in the mindset of the of games at this time, whatever. Which I clearly was not playing it fucking 2023. But uh, even if you are, I think this puzzle solution is tough to just look at the space and like assume that you can tuck your sprite behind this thing. Yeah. Because you can't see the... There is... I think there might be a little bit of a shadow there to suggest depth for that part of the screen, but it's still not intuitive, I don't think, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, A room with a console and an elevator you need the key card for that you got from Jerry's dead cadaver upstairs uh, is to the right, and the console, you dick around with the console, you can see out the window... Uh, you can see kind of the bay doors of the airlock on the ship. You can, if you interact with the screen, you can see them open or interact with the console. Rather, you can see them open at the window. So you know what you're doing and that you had to do that. And if you do it twice and it closes again, you need to, you know, you need to reopen it back up. <laughs> Probably right. anyways, uh, at least if you get downstairs and you can't get out of the fucking thing because it tells you you can't, you at least know why and you can go back upstairs and deal with that. So you get you t- take that elevator down from from that console room, and is that the same too? Can you actually see? Because that's another thing; it's a fidelity problem. So how do you have to open the bay doors, and is there a visual cue that shows you you're doing it? Yes, you can. So you do have to open the bay doors. You can see. I actually didn't notice that they were bay doors necessarily at first because the graphics just aren't a great. Bla- a few black pixels appear, <laughs> right? Uh, but it does give you a little uh, a little animation of them opening and once they opened i was like oh that's clearly because i had i had to look at the panel and it's like oh there are buttons to open or close the bay door and i was like oh well obviously i want to open the bay door right yeah it's a it it also describes it uh, in addition to the visual cue in the vj version 
So you take that elevator down to a lower room again from here, and there is, yes, an unidentified gadget in a drawer that you can open, and then a spacesuit in a closet you can get your drip on with after, or rather before heading out into an escape ship bay. And there's a TV in here that's broadcasting, in the ship bay, I mean, there's a TV in here broadcasting the talking head of some alien anchor being, is how they describe it, broadcasting a message about the stolen star generator. So it's it's kind of like just the CNN, uh, CNN being on at the DMV is kind of what I equated that <laughs> to, you know, just the channel that they picked. And you can absolutely fall off the edge of this catwalk, yes. So walking out to the ship, if you're not careful with the point-and-click shit, if you click, like, off to the sides... You can just walk right off the catwalk and die. <laughs> oh, wait, so there's a catwalk, you say? Yeah, like to get, like you come, you, you go through that airlock door in the room with the spacesuit, and then there is a, like a, yeah, a catwalk that goes out to the spaceship open door, and you have to walk across that and not click <laughs> out in the space on the other side of the catwalk, or your guy will die. I'm guessing with the arrow keys, they don't expect that of you, though. Yeah, I'm about to try and get there myself. Um, uh, we'll see what happens. It doesn't make you know. It's funny too because that doesn't make any sense if you've opened the bay doors. Anyways, there should be no gravity in here. Uh, gravity would be artificial, either from spinning or uh, magnetism. So that's not implausible. There would be no air, so you can't go out there without the suit. Yeah, I guess gravity is not something that would just seep through a door, right? Okay. No, yeah, that that's a physical thing. You have to right, spin yeah. or magnets. Right, right, right. That makes sense. Okay. So Though I spinning for... with the door open, no, that shouldn't make a difference. We're spinning with the door open on planet Earth in theory. Right. And we don't fly off because that's not exactly how it works. Right. No, but there's a, there's a vacuum of pressure, though. That absolutely would matter. Right. That's what I, yeah, that was what I'm thinking with the big Yeah, the pr- it's a pressure, not a gravity thing. Open door, I guess. That doesn't work. <laughs> I was just, I'm just trying to hurry this airlock. Okay. Open air. Uh, so inside the ship is a view of Roger strapped into the cockpit. Are you out there now? I'm trying to get there. But yes, anyways, please proceed. Okay. So yeah, inside the ship is a view of Roger strapped into the cockpit. It's the image I have behind me, or at least basically anyways, the image I, I have behind me right now. And you have to buckle your seatbelt first and foremost... Uh, you don't do that like you can't do anything <laughs> like yeah. it won't let you start the ship or anything which is i like, went back and tried that I, I fence tested that i was like do i just die if i don't do it and they just don't let you go right right which is funny that's very buckle your seatbelt. that was a <laughs> uh a public service announcement of prominence of the time so that's um, just a, a cultural zeitgeist joke to some degree or another right that might not land today as well and then once you buckle your seatbelt, you then hit the power button Switch on a row of three buttons in front of your face, which are you, you're very much in my case with the point and click shit. You're kind of just like clicking around trying to figure out because there's so many gadgets on the control dashboard, but you don't you can't interact with any of them. So yeah, it took me a while to find this and figure it out. And then once you do kind of find this hot spot, a a close up box pops up of the three buttons, and you can individually push any one of the three, and they all do individual things if you you have to hit the power switch is the one on the one on the right and then you can hit the joystick you have to use the joystick in front of them and that just takes the ship right out into space so mm-hmm. there's really not a ton to this I'm, I'm guessing those are just simple text commands you didn't have to look around or anything right yeah just like gave me a text prompt that like basically had all the keywords in it that told me what to do really 
So it gave you like an option set. I wouldn't call it an option set. It's just like, yeah, let me see if I can get in there. Um, I can't fucking figure out how to work this goddamn computer now. Uh, push air lock. Oh, God, Jesus Christ. That worked. Open door? No, it was like, it's like, <laughs> it's like the, you look at the panel, it's like there's a button that says airlock. So I said push airlock button. And it's like, no, you can't do that. And then it said push airlock, and that worked. Whatever. Yeah, that's dude, that that's exactly that's why it's such a that's why I said that's why it's such a massive upgrade to the VGA version because that shit's interesting to talk about. Uh, I guess maybe for the purpose of this podcast, but it's so rough. It's so you can so frequently have the answer, but not structure it properly, right? And and it just doesn't get it. And you can that's that's like it's just a level of extra. Uh, Obs- what's, that, what's that word? Obscuification? Obs- 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 what's the fucking word? Like, Obscuification. Obs- obs- oh, shit, what is it? Now you got yeah. it. Obscuification. Yeah, they know what we're talking They know what we're talking about. Don't worry, I'm going to be an engineer about. one day. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, it's a level, an extra layer of that to an already very, very fucked up problem set, series of problems in these games that it, you just don't need. It, you just don't need it, you know? It was yeah. a... It's just it's too, yeah, I mean, you know, with the point and click, I'm sure it's going to be much, much better. Yes, much smoother. Um, I, I walked into this room, and I just, like, I walked towards the uh, the open airlock, or the open door, and I just walked right out into space. Congratulations, Jab, you have found your way off the ar- Arcada. It doesn't even have the cockpit? N- well, no, it, it, there's a cockpit. There's a ship that I just got up, but I was like, let me try to walk out the window first, and I did, and now I'm just floating... Oh, okay. So that's that's fun. I yeah. I don't even think you can get there in this version. So maybe they're just replicating that death or or creating a death of similar nature. Yeah, because there's not I, there's nothing here. I would call a catwalk. Okay. Pod. Okay. Yeah, I'm here, and then I say, "Look." Okay. Look. Oh, the fucking ship blew up. Are you kidding me? That's like, but that's very like cinematic and dramatic though. Like I just got in the pod and the fucking ship in <laughs> the in the arcade blows up. Arcada, right? Yeah, Arcada. Yeah. Also, this game, the the very beginning, this fucking first thing you play without the aliens invading your ship is just Subnautica. It's like right before you get on the pod in Subnautica. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Some you like you get in, you put your seatbelt on, you fucking shoot out, and that's when the game starts. Yeah. So uh, we should come up with like some fan fiction that links the two. <laughs> yeah, that's, that'd be fun. Uh, can sell that with our hint book and make a million dollars. So you cut. So you once you go down to space, it cuts to a the wide view in space of the Syrian ship latched onto the Arcada that you get in the opening credits, and the Syrian ship lets go and flies off. Then the escape pod rockets out from the Arcada and away, and then the Arcada blows up. Um, so funny enough, no matter how much time you have left on that timer before detonation mm-hmm. that sequence happens in the same like amount of you know as you're leaving i guess is the way to yeah. describe it no still, matter still what. a near run thing right yeah so it's it's funny that uh you know i don't know they just you gotta do it though right you know yeah, like suspension a movie where that didn't happen right exactly exactly or you get away so, and like yeah. 10 minutes later it blows up like oh, okay Right, yeah, that's very well, not quite as climactic. Yeah, so back to the cockpit. Once you're in space, and there are two buttons on that row of buttons that it gives me in the VGA version. 
The first is labeled auto nav button. And when operative, it like gives you a description as well. It says when the operative, it allows, or when operative rather, it allows the pod to navigate to the closest habitable planet. And then the second button is labeled in all caps. This button is not to be pushed at any time. <laughs> and I pushed the, you. Yeah, I pushed the second one before reading the labels. And in my case, it like this there's and this is what I have behind me image wise now. This happens whether you do the auto nav button either. It's just like kind of it's it's going through light fucking uh what do you what do you call that fucking uh warp travel or whatever. It's its visualization of that, but a kaleidoscope effect happens outside the windshield, and the ship transports back to the Middle Ages on Earth, crash landing to the side of Castle Nottingham, which I believe is the castle in Robin Hood, hmm. if I recall correctly. Oh no, that's the Sheriff of Nottingham. Maybe yeah, it takes but, place near Nottingham. It seems. Yeah, yeah, I guess it's probably Castle Nottingham as well. Uh, but it's a great death either way. It's it's a, it's a super fun um, death. How does that, what, do you have those buttons in the AGI version? So in the AGI, I've got, uh, it's got auto nav, power, and uh, do not, actually it push. says don't push. Okay. Um, which I found funny. I thought we stopped there, so that's as far as I got. I didn't pretty, navigate the ship at all. It's pretty close, yeah, you basically. And since I'm right at the point now where like, I couldn't even, I got my seatbelt on and then I pushed, I tried to push the power button and the ship blew up, so I'll have to okay. restart. Okay. Uh, I'd be curious to hear how it, how that death goes. The don't push button. Yeah, I'm. I I'll figure that out. Um, yeah, I'll let you know. Uh, so yeah, the ticket uh, here is of course the auto nav feature, which sets you on a course for a planet called Corona, and you get that same kaleidoscope effect uh, in the BJ version, and you get like a little bit of a cinematic uh, approaching here that when you. Coming up on Corona, it kind of has Mars vibes. It's like a reddish-looking hue. And you buzz into the atmosphere and then skip across a vast, barren red desert before coming to a crash-landed stop. And the text box that pops up once you come to a stop reads, Thank you for flying Arcata Getaway Podlines. It's nearly been a pleasure serving you. Tell a friend if you've got one. And that is it. Uh, that is the stopping point. So, yeah, you were super close. Ah, um, fucked actually- that up again getting to the planet. Um, yeah. Um it's funny it's got that um it's got also that little subnautica dystopian capitalist service vibe. Yeah, oh yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, it's kind of sure. I'm seeing a lot of connections here. Yeah. Uh well, you know, that's probably so much uh you know, like you just the uh, Brave New World, like you, you mean those it's the they may be different, but the tonality, the dystopian thing the hopelessness i guess that accompanies that kind of science fiction writing is probably the most you know there's not a lot i guess what i'm getting at here is there's not a lot of science fiction futuristic writing where everything just works out and it's great yeah. <laughs> you know I, like, I saw something recently and by recently i mean maybe in the past year youtube or a podcast or maybe a book i don't think i know how to read but maybe but i saw something that was talking about kind of the the ways the that science fiction was written throughout time and there it might have been like post you know uh hiroshima and nagasaki maybe that 
seems a little too convenient. But there, there was some event that happened that kind of changed the zeitgeist about how people wrote about science fiction, and it went from very, like, flowery and hopeful. Optimistic. You know, to, like, Jetsons yeah. kind of shit to, like, which is not a good example because that happened after World War II. But, um, yeah, optimistic to, like, hellscape. This is right. going <laughs> to kill us all. Right, 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 right. So, yeah, there was something. I got to look that up because that, that was very interesting to me. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, you know. I, it was I, definitely I, a tone uh, shift at some point. Yeah, the nuclear event. I'm sure that 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 nuclear, didn't help. I'm sure the cold. Yeah, the Cold War. The rate because yeah, because you know could have been the Cold War. Actually, is just like this looming technology over you at all times. I mean, like now there's an existential threat. Like the Mongols can always come over the horizon and like destroy your city, your your nation. Like they could always do that, but the Mongols weren't going to destroy the entire World. race of humans. Yeah. <laughs> you're like now that exists and like no right. humans had literally ever i mean even the black death you know like not even close to killing all humans and it killed a ton of them yeah. um but now we have this tech this like new technology which was supposed to save us you know just technology in general supposed to save us all and here it is looming over us like a, the you know mythical sort of damocles so yep. yeah probably that honestly yeah that it, i also think it's there's I, there's probably some level of influence like the the race to the moon was a component of the Cold War. Mm-hmm. It, while certainly marketed <laughs> as like this beacon of hopefulness for humanity and what can accomplish, it happened in this militaristic way where it was a race against the biggest on Earth rival of you know the the two. Com- uh, competing entities trying to get there. So even that, like, had a an air of militarism to it. You know what I mean? Which military mm-hmm. militarism also sometimes marketed as a, a way of you know demonstrating dominance, hope, whatever uh, um, prosperity because of your you know the arsenal you have built up as a demonstration of your ability to deal with any whatever could come. Sure. But yes, when it when it becomes irrelevant when you hit kind of like the 32 gigabytes of ram you hit the max no matter what it's just instant death no matter who does it what happens how it's employed whatever <laughs> you know i mean there's like a there's a certain level of cynicism i think that accompanies that like this is what we were striving for and look what it got us yeah. you know uh is probably just a more simpler way to put it that yeah i think that that makes total sense for there to be a huge shift in the storytelling once those things become part of the common understanding or viewing of of technology in general yeah i'll have to try and hunt this down again because that was really interesting i think it's like if you compare like like twilight zone shit it's like a little eh, even that sci-fi stuff gets weird but like it wasn't so like you know this is gonna kill us all anyways yeah hopeless hopeless is a great (laughs) way to sum that Call this segment the Hint Book Tips Decoder Reveal, and we will just be going through the questions and the answers in the Hint Book for the parts that we played. And yeah, it's just such a wild, wild way to format a strategy guide. Uh, <laughs> and but it, it does allow them to have infinitely more character than virtually 
any other kind of game documentation we've ever looked at for this podcast. Like even the Final Fantasy one, which we commended endlessly for its storytelling benefit and like helping paint this world and yada yada yada. It still didn't allow for the creep for the freeform creative writing that this I think did. You know, yeah, uh, or especially without it. giving it like explicitly away how to do something, right? Yeah. Anyways, so the first one we get here is the Arcade is going to self-destruct. What do I do? And then we have get off the ship before it blows up for one thing. And that works its its way to don't leave the ship until you've been given the data archive twice or been to the data archive twice, the star generator room, the central control area, and the flight preparation room. So it basically just tells you go to all the places, explore everything, and make sure you pick up every item in there. Yeah, and you got to go to data archives twice because that scientist doesn't stumble in until you go the second right. time. And that's how they describe it. For me, though, that's not how it went. Like, really? I I think it's just trying to do two doors. Because, <laughs> yeah, I didn't... It was weird. It, it, it functioned two different ways for me, too. Like, the first time I went in there, I came from the right mm-hmm. and tried to go through the door on the left. And before I got to the door, he came in. And then when I had to restart and redo that part, I think I, I think in that case I came from the left maybe mm-hmm. and had to leave the room and come back to get him. to Because I knew hmm. he was supposed to queue, you know? Yeah. And when I came in and he didn't queue, I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> like le- left and came back. So, yeah. So, I don't, hmm. I don't know what exactly. I mean, it says. Yeah, when yeah, I twice. did it, I would go in from the, I would come in from the right. He's not going to show up, so I just go all the way through to the next thing, and then come and then back. go immediately back, and then he shows up. Okay, weird. Yeah. Uh, next one is what's the deal with these with all these bodies everywhere? And the first one here is their dead gym, and the only thing I can think of is that Star Trek reference. Yeah, I think so. Okay. Must be I, I, I didn't really watch the first the original series. I don't know what gym. Uh, Jim, no, the doctor must be talking to Jim. Right, correct. Yeah, Jim. Yeah. Jim is Shatner. I'm guessing that's a Spock thing. Okay. Well, Spock was not a doctor, but yeah. Anyways, but he was the one that would like say obvious things matter of factly because yes, Vulcans are very logical and right. Exactly. So I think uh, even not being a start a, a trek. I guess it might not even be the doctor. Yeah, it might not be the doctor speaking at this point. Okay. Right. Yes, right. but I think that is a Star Trek reference. Yes. And yeah, they slowly work their way here to. Uh, you have to search Jerry <laughs> and get his key card. Right um, now, in mine, here's a, here's a curious thing. We don't have to stay here long, but in mine, I went to like the first time I played this. Went over search body. He has a key card. Cool. Went about my thing. Didn't take it. Yeah. Didn't take it. Yep. And I was like, that's a dick DM thing to do. Yeah, I. That's that's. And we'll, they they mentioned it in here specifically too. So this this again, it was uh, to some, I don't know, at least awareness of it, if not a deliberate attempt to create dumb difficulty and fucking you a little later and having to come back to this. But the robot having to take the the archive, uh, the fucking yeah, to take the cartridge from the robot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah you don't you, when he brings it back, it doesn't just go into your inventory, and that right. is dumb as fuck. So dumb, you know. Yep, I'll I'll buy. The logical rationale of needing to take it off the body, you know, just because you, I, I, in fact, I don't want you putting everything I find on a dead body in my inventory. Uh, I want to keep my inventory True. lean uh, and not have to put junk in there. But I clearly want this fucking archive thing. That's yeah, I didn't just given. fucking type it in there. Like, cool, later. It, it, 
<laughs> right, right. So yeah, that one is a little extra stupid to me. Next hint uh, question is, or, or topic is, no matter where I go, big ugly aliens shoot me. And first one is, it's their job. <laughs> so yeah, they, this this is a slow burn getting to, you gotta hide behind shit. Uh, and they, they even get to the one, they realize that the central control area one is more difficult too, because the third one is, whenever you hear footsteps, duck into the nearest door behind something. They don't see anything, they'll go away. But they have a specific final one that tells you the specific hiding you have to do in that control area behind mm-hmm. the giant mouse. Ah, okay. Because, um, like I said, that's a particularly opaque one, I think, that even they realized. Um, not everyone's going to get. Mm-hmm. What do I need from the data archive room, and where the heck is it anyways? And this is, yes, a slow work through of having to give that data archive command that the scientist gives you and have the robot retrieve it for you, take it from yada, yada, yada. I'm in the star generator room, but I don't see anything I need here. And this is, yes, it's... The first one is, look harder, it's small. And like I said, yeah, I was curious. I was looking at this one, and I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, again, it it doesn't seem to apply to me. I I wish I could remember what the fuck it does. We Uh, shall see. Yeah. That is a huge... I just don't see... It is called a widget here, too, so... Take it, it'll improve your luck later is the fifth tip. Right. I don't know. Which, which suggests... You know what? Now that I'm thinking about it, it's a magnet. Yeah, I think you use it to game... Oh, yes. Oh, I, I think bet you... that's it. That Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think you use it to game the slot machine. Yeah, that I, I was just going to say I don't remember this game at all, but if it's saying it's going to improve your luck and it's like a magnet, like that sounds like a gambling thing. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And I, yeah. And like, I don't specifically remember that, but I am still somehow sub- subconsciously connecting that. That's crazy. These games are so crazy. Mm-hmm. Human memory is so crazy. Where's the flight uh, preparation room? What do I do there? And this is just telling you it's in the lower level, east of the central control area, and the it tells you to fucking get the gadget. And it also doesn't tell you what it is, and to put it on the spacesuit, basically. Because yep. yeah, you can even—I think you can take that spacesuit and not put it on. Maybe. Yes, you can take it. Then you have to. No, wait. In mine, you just—when I take it, I wear it. Excuse me. Okay. Yeah, I think in mine I had to put it on. Maybe I can't recall for sure, but it, even if it doesn't do that, it's totally within this game's vernacular to do that. <laughs> uh, to require you to take that extra dumb step. Yep. No, it tells you to use the hand cursor on yep. the spacesuit to put it on. So yeah, yep. you have to. Next one is, I found the door to the escape pod bay, but when I went through, I popped like a balloon. This is what you just described, basically. If you not, don't have your shit on or uh, don't, yeah, don't have your spacesuit on, you'll, of course, just fucking explode. In the escape pod, but I can't go anywhere, so this is going through the flowchart of having to put on the fucking seatbelt and pushing the right button right. and looking around for that button and yada, yada, yada. Every time I try to leave the ship, I get pulped, which is a weird fucking verb choice pulped <laughs> against the bay doors why won't they open and this is because you have to open them upstairs of course and it says next one is it says not to push the middle button should i push it anyways and this is just <laughs> crazy they just wasted that they even spend the ink on this you know yeah. it's, it's funny to me uh it's up to you do you just have this thing about doing what you have been told not to do all right then live dangerously uh, and then the second uh, of two out of two uh, clues is, uh, but save your game first. So, you know, maybe 
maybe that's the the chief function of this is to learn to save early and often. I could, that's a good point, actually. Yeah, and I'm actually yeah, I I'm absolutely saving. I'm keeping. Like I I don't always do it well enough with when I'm emulating is saving multiple saves slots so you can go back yeah. because you can absolutely in these games work yourself into a corner and be fucked. It's so, kind of fucked, right? Yeah, it's critical to have different save slots working. Last one is I got the escape pod to go, but then I just wandered around and got lost in space. And this is you have to use the auto nav button, of course. So pretty logical here. And that is it for hint book shit. Um, yeah, I didn't need to use any of it. Um, did you get stuck anywhere? No, like I said, I just it was just various iterations of like it, it was all pretty straightforward. Like it, it kind of explained it pretty well, better than I thought it would. And it was all just like. My biggest issues were like use computer. What? Look computer? Huh? <laughs> yeah. Huh? Look screen. <laughs> oh, that's it. Like okay. Parser shit. Yeah. Yeah. All that friction goes away. One hundred percent with the point and click. Yeah, I can't wait. Um, so what is next? Yes, we crash landed on was it Quran or fucking whatever the fuck the planet's called? Corona. I think and it's called Mexico. Corona. Right. Yeah. And yeah, I. I don't know exactly what happens next, but I definitely. Especially now that I said the slot machine remark, mm-hmm. I know you get to some town, you get to a city, and I can I can picture the the screen of the of the town, and you have to yeah you have to earn enough money, I recall from that slot machine bullshit, mm-hmm. to be able to go buy a, sh- a spaceship to go to the next place. Okay. Yeah, and I think there's that's I think this is where the cave shit happens too. There's some sort of cave monster or some shit you got to deal with. Uh, so those are my memories for for what's next. But what's fun about these for me is I don't re- like I literally don't remember any of this. Like I don't remember any of this game, and I can tell you pretty much everything that I remember about these kinds of games. There's a point in one of the police quests where if you approach a car that you pulled over from the wrong side, <laughs> you get hit by yeah. a car. Yeah. Uh, in King's Quest, one of them, I think four or five. Uh, you're like the slave of a magician and no, that's that's three that's three, three. okay well yeah. he leaves and then you can do things while he's gone that's literally yeah. everything i remember about these games like <laughs> everything so all of this is going to be new to me yeah uh, yeah pretty fun yeah like i said the, the, i i anticipate yeah especially king's quest three like i mentioned is one i played a bunch and it's easily my favorite king's quest but i had i had the whole i originally bought six as a big box standalone mm. I never beat it. It's hard as fuck. I remember I 100% remember hitting a wall on that and never beating it. And buying it, I had the hint book for that too. So maybe I did eventually beat it because it's crazy if I couldn't beat it with the hint book. But Again, I feel you would like remember maybe, it if you did. Yeah. I, I, I think there's – I actually think now that I, now that I think about it, I think there might have been a technical problem where it got stuck on my system. Hmm. And that's why I never beat that one even with the hint book. And okay. I remember being extra frustrated about that. Yeah. Uh, as anyone would be. And then, but yeah, I also eventually bought a CD version of all three, or all of them. But I don't know how I could have got a CD I to work. I remember that. Yeah, because it was uh, the first six of them, I yeah, believe. Yeah, that I, makes sense for some reason. Yeah, I still have the CDs. I have the CD-ROMs, actually, hmm. now, that, now that I think about it. Uh, I saw stuff the hint book too. Come to think of it, because uh, I saved a few random ass books from those 
Uh, big box was when I threw the boxes away like an idiot. <laughs> but yeah, so I, I played most of the King's Quest. Uh, and then I had Police Quest 3, yeah, in a, in a standalone yeah. big box version. So that's the one you played there, too. Well, I don't remember any of this, so it's all new to me. It will be a fun journey. I expect we will probably be able to beat it for the next episode. For really? episode two okay. of this. Yeah. Yeah. I don't I mean this is I mean I had yeah, I have like I wanna say forty points maybe or thirty high thirties of okay. you know, so like uh what is that? A fifth of the total points. Yeah. And like I said, that was like nine minutes of game. So yeah. <laughs> I expect to be able to beat it uh, on the next one. Um or at least uh, that's the thing. Like, even if it's not, maybe maybe there's like a little more than would be ideal. Like, I feel like there's nowhere near a whole third episode possible for mm-hmm. content. So we might as well just do the extra work and do a little bit longer. Well, uh, why don't you play a little bit and then we'll we'll decide. Of course, of course. Of yeah, because I don't I don't a know what I'm doing. B I'm just looking through the things the the hint book without reading. And it's it, it to me looks like there are three episodes. Well, two more episodes, I would say. But since this was like a, you know, our first episode, it ran longer than it typically would. Right. I would say. Yeah. yeah After this, sure. it'll be mostly gameplay. Like we won't be explaining our whole entire fucking backstories again, um, like we actually tend to do every time we do this. But um, <laughs> right. Yeah, I don't. I don't think the other ones will be as long. So maybe we could do like two shorter episodes. Right. Maybe two hour yeah, long we'll episodes. Yeah, we'll see. Okay. I mean, it might make sense too. You know, like I said, I I think. There's just not much game once we get going. Playing it, like, it might be too long to talk about, and we can kind of maybe maybe just finish the game and just decide how much, how to do the recording of it even uh, mm. after finishing the game might be the smartest way to do it because, yes, mm. neither one of us really know how much is left. We're kind of just guessing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel like there's know. two episodes. I, that might not, I'm just like, this is me just trying to, like, put order into things that aren't even asking for order. But, um, you know, it seems like maybe each of these could have a three-episode thing. Okay. We but that's see. completely arbitrary and pulled directly yeah. out of I mean, I, it's only... I like the idea of, yes, three acts and just three episodes. That makes a lot mm-hmm. of sense. But, shall see. Yeah. In any event, thanks for taking part in our first config... Or edit config sys quest and episode anyways for it and you can subscribe to the pod on the platform provider whatever dumbest company that serves up your pottery please rate and leave positive shit for the pod on whatever platform you listen to if you enjoy this nonsense the website is nyeh.com or nyehentertainment.com forward slash isoh pod email us directly at isohpodcast at gmail.com follow the pod and banter with us on the facebook page instagram and subreddit and talk shit to us about our gameplay videos on the youtube links to all those will be in the show notes we don't have a patreon but if you like giving money to things podcasters tell you to and would like to do so at our direction the able gamers foundation or the able gamers foundation creates custom gaming rigs for gamers with disabilities that is cool as fuck ablegamers.org is where you can find them t-shirts on the website they're dope and proceeds on those after pot expenses go to able gamers jab tell us what your socials are it's mpo box 0031 overland ohio 44074 <laughs> yeah uh same thing on instagram funny enough uh <laughs> my twitter is at josh Fallen. my instagram is my shift key is broke and that's where you can find me on oculus as well okay bye later, later.